Ahoy! Welcome to Operation Silver Screen. This cinema-related operation has been created to clear our desks from stacks of open cases. What are these cases? Well, even being the film lovers that we are, Caitlin and I have a huge backlog of must-see films that we still need to experience. So each week we'll tackle a film that either one of us or both of us still need to see. We will then provide a debrief of our week's mission, giving our outlook on the film's popularity and significance, as well as providing our opinion on whether or not it's worth seeing and other fun insight. And Caitlin, what was our mission this week? Before I get into our mission this week, I wanted to note that here at Operation Silver Screen, we value the bonds of friendship and our ability to tackle a variety of different cases. Sometimes our mission requires us to travel across the ocean to run from lifeless and oddly pale locals. Sometimes the mission takes us to small towns where everyone knows your name, including the murderer next door, and other times it takes us back to our hometown, where the people we used to know seem even more alien to us than they were before. But at the end of the day, our operatives can always kick back with a beer and some ice cream and reflect on the week's work and enjoy each other's company. If you haven't already guessed it, our mission this week was to tackle the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy by director Edgar Wright, including three unrelated films, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. But before we get into that, I do want to welcome some special guests today. Today marks part one of our collaboration with the Casters Guild podcast, and we'll be joining them for a special episode on their podcast as well. But why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Hi, I am uh, Guildmaster Rick Perry and uh, an Edgar Wright fanboy extraordinaire. What? I had something ready and you just dropped me like that? Hi, I'm Guildmaster Baron for the greater good, Kane. Glad you guys can join us. And uh, just to build your case files a little bit more, we do have a couple questions for you. Fire away. Yeah, we want to know what your favorite films are. One a favorite film that you think, you know, is pretty popular, you think everyone has seen, and the second one, a film that you don't think many people have seen. Okay, we actually uh, covered this not that long ago. We did our own top ten lists. Um, did, you, did, you write, did you write mine down? Uh, I did not. <laughs> uh, I, had to, I had to flip back through the notebook to find my, my list. Um, so what was, the, what was the first one? First one's a popular film that you think a lot of people have seen. Uh, that's your favorite film and it's like one's a favorite film that you don't think many people have seen that you can kind of recommend to our listeners here let's see as far as one that i think a lot of people have seen i'm gonna go with star wars episode five um that's definitely on my list and uh it's i mean it, everybody's seen star wars right well not everybody but it's super popular um <laughs> that's the force awakens right i think brian's trying to figure it out <laughs> It's 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 I obviously it. the wait Phantom Menace. <laughs> Last Jedi. <laughs> and let's see, um, one that not as many people have seen. Um, I, I hate to be self 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 referential here, but I mean I'm gonna have to go with the Cornetto trilogy. I mean, like I don't think they're as popular as they should be, and I believe. Everybody should see all three of these movies, and I'm glad that I was able to get you both to see all three of these movies by doing this podcast. Yeah. You you good? My turn. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I say my favorite uh, that I that I believe everybody has seen is The Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems like everybody's seen it, and really, if you haven't, you you're missing out. It's, it's a, a classic. Movie. It's a good choice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. And then one that I, I, I mean, I could be way off, but I really don't feel like a lot of people have seen it, but Legend, 
with uh, Tom Cruise. Well, it doesn't help that Tom Cruise tried to bury that movie. Good, good try, Tom. Good try. <laughs> but it's also my first introduction to Tim Curry. Really? So, yeah. Uh, I yep. know what the film you're talking about, but no, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's it's. I would say I would say out of those two, it is my favorite. Okay. But. But then it also, it all depends on my mood, too. I think I even said that in our episode. It really depends mm-hmm. on my mood. I will completely change my list around. Yeah, I have a solid list of favorite films that I kind of stick to, but it does it does change. Oh, my yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian, have you seen Legend? No, but I'm looking at some pictures, and I've seen this Satan before. Is this the same Satan from oh! uh, Tenacious D? I know what you're talking no. about. Okay. It looks exactly the same. I feel like he was, like, going around on TikTok, that devil. Or maybe that's just my TikTok. I mean, he yep. was definitely going around on my TikTok. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that, is, I, that is Tim Curry, so. <laughs> I, I may have made a video. So. <laughs> maybe that's where but, I saw it. Maybe it was on your TikTok that I saw it. <laughs> that video did rather well. <laughs> um, no, the, the devil in the Tenacious D... Uh, movie and video was actually Dave Grohl. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I've never heard of that film nor seen it, of course. Ah, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, I'll you gotta check get it the, out. You gotta get the director's cut, though. Of it's course. like five hours long, but you'll love it. <laughs> it's got those weird fantasy vibes like uh, Labyrinth or Dark Crystal or that kind of the whole thing. I like those vibes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I saw a similarity between this and Princess Bride, that kind of, that fantasy that old not really old school fantasy but like that 80s 90s fantasy definitely yes yes it fits right in i feel like i'm always looking for like more fantasy movies because i think it's a genre that isn't as explored much in film or at least compared to like literature there for the longest time you know you couldn't even get them recognized it really took lord of the rings Mm -hmm. stepping up and you know punching the oscars in the face to be able to get any kind of clout in my opinion so yeah definitely seeing more series too i was kind of afraid after the game of thrones debacle that you know series (laughs) wouldn't be picking up as many fantasy series but i really like the wheel of time and it looks like there's a whole bunch of our adaptations coming up i still need to watch that i haven't gotten to it's really good i liked it the shannara series wasn't bad but they ended up canceling that Mm. but oh well oh well (laughs) (laughs) So let's go to talk a little bit about um, the Cornetto trilogy. But before oh, we... wait. That's what we're talking about? <laughs> oh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I'm leaving. Wait, all three films? <laughs> all <Yeah>. three films. <laughs> all of them? <laughs> Jeez. I just watched two of the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> before we do get into it, though, I want to mention that the first part of our debrief will be spoiler-free as we talk about our overall thoughts on the films and some general information on the trilogy and our, our overall opinions. Um, but as we move into the classified part of the mission, there will be spoilers on the story, but we'll be sure to give you a warning when we get to that part. So let's talk about your experience with Edgar Wright and this trilogy in general. Obviously, Rick, you're the, you're the big Edgar Wright fan in this, <laughs> in this chat right here. <laughs> Uh, well, I think Shaun of the Dead was my entry point for Edgar Wright movies, um, and it was completely on accident. Um, this was a time of my life where after um, church on Sundays, I had a group of friends that I would go to the movies with, and we had seen a goofy trailer for Shaun of the Dead. When you go to see movies every week, 
you know, your bar for entry as far as what you'll go and see kind of lowers over time because you're like, oh, well, I haven't seen this yet, so I'll just go ahead and see this. And uh, so we were super into like Monty Python as a group and like British humor in general. And we saw this trailer and like we were quoting the movie before we saw the movie just from the trailer. And so we were like, yeah, we're definitely going to go see that. And uh, I, I was hooked from that point on. And um, I think after that, I didn't see Hot Fuzz immediately. Uh, the next one I saw was Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, which, of course, isn't part of this trilogy, but it's the next Edgar Wright movie I saw. Um, and I had been reading the graphic novels for quite some time. So when they announced the movie, I was like, yeah, I'm there. And then I found out it was the same director as that other movie I had seen a while ago, Shaun of the Dead. And I was like, well, what else has this guy done? And I've been following him ever since and what is your favorite ed Wright movie baby driver um which um i mean it's been the most successful one so i mean i think it's probably a lot of people's favorite Edgar Wright movie but for me personally i have tinnitus which um gave me that connection to baby and i recommend the movie to a lot of people because if you watch it with headphones on anytime the music stops you can hear the ringing of baby's tinnitus so when i when people are like, oh, that must be terrible, or what's it like to have tinnitus? I'm like, watch this movie, watch it with headphones on, and anytime the music stops, you're going to be begging for that music to come back because of the <laughs> ringing, and then you'll know what it's like to have tinnitus. What about you? What's your experience with Edgar Wright? I mean, it's the first experience was just like Rick. It was, um, it was Shaun of the Dead. I mean, I've never really heard of any of those guys. Um, and but I'm a I like zombie movies. I don't like horror movies, but I like zombie movies and I like horror movies that are funny. So this is a funny zombie movie. So they had me, honestly. Um, and um, immediately after or as soon as uh, Hot Fuzz came out, went to watch it. Wasn't expecting that at all. It was still good. Um, and uh, I, I think I haven't seen as many as Rick has. I think that maybe my experience is the trilogy, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, I maybe one more, but I can't really think of anything else. But um, but I would say out of the movies I've seen, probably Scott Pilgrim versus the world is my favorite. And um, now I kind of feel bad because we both chose a movie that wasn't in the Cornetto <laughs> trilogy that are our favorites. But, um, I mean, I guess it's not a bad thing. No. Yeah, I it's will say while I didn't of... choose any of the movies in the Cornetto trilogy as my favorite, I will say that all three of these movies, I will stand my ground that they are the funniest movies ever written, period. Well, we'll actually get to a ranking of these movies, what your personal ranking of these movies are uh, towards the end of the podcast, too. So you'll be able to rank them there and say which one of the trilogy is your favorite. So for me, I think Shaun of the Dead was also my entry point. So that was the only one until this week of the trilogy that I've seen. Um, I have seen all his other major films. Last Night in Soho is my personal favorite of Edgar Wright. But I think uh, Shaun of the Dead, I actually watched with Bryant a few years back, although he claims that he forgot about it. <laughs> um, I think was that part of our perfect lineup? We have a, a movie marathon 
so we do different kinds of movie marathons and one of them is our perfect lineup and it's where it has a lineup of very specific genres of film and so one of them we always watch a horror comedy so i'm wondering if shawn of the dead was part of that do you remember brian it was either that or again it was cockneys vs zombies <laughs> but i think cockneys vs zombies was just a random watch so i think shawn of the dead uh, was the perfect lineup okay I remember that movie. That was actually pretty decent. It was pretty decent. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I had some good laughs with that one as well. Heck yeah. Was Shaun Again. of the Dead your first movie, Brian? No, so mine was actually Scott Pilgrim. Uh-huh. I've seen, or I had seen bits of Shaun of the Dead before, but when I I kind of dropped off of movies and then I started, like, when I really started getting into movies when I was about 15. I didn't start to get into the horror movies till a couple years later. Uh, so during that time when I wasn't really watching horror movies, I didn't have any kind of will to go watch Shaun of the Dead. But Scott Pilgrim did come out, and that was my first introduction to Edgar Wright. And now completing the trilogy, uh, like you said, we did go and watch Shaun of the Dead together. I had seen The World's End before, uh, but I never saw Hot Fuzz completely. Like I saw the twist. And then I saw one of the scenes before then. So the movie was kind of, I felt like I kind of saw it all. And I saw a bit of the finale as well. Uh, but now I finally got to watch it in, in completion. So I'm a, I can say I'm a fan of Edgar Wright. I won't, I won't put him in like my top five favorite directors. I think some of his movies kind of fall a little bit short for me. But for the most part, they're all still good movies. My favorite would have to be Scott Pilgrim, the first one that I saw. I think that one balances his style perfectly, and I think that material, I don't think anybody else could have done that as well as he did. Was it, I can definitely say that. Was it Edgar Wright that you said was a better Tarantino than Tarantino? Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Tarantino is known for four things, and Edgar Wright does three of those things better than Tarantino. Is the fourth thing feet? <laughs> no. Uh, no. no five things that, then. <laughs> yeah five things but that that's just tarantino he, he, that, that's his own thing care to elaborate more on that what are those four things okay uh yeah no i didn't know if you i think i like already mentioned it on two episodes <laughs> already we'll just say it again <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the perfect episode for it. So Tarantino is known for his editing, his homages, his music, and dialogue. Blanking on the dialogue. dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And I think Edgar Wright does his editing better. I think he chooses his music better. I think he does his homages better. And with all three of those things too, I think he tames them better. He doesn't get crazy with it it doesn't overtake the movie like it does with tarantino however tarantino he does his dialogue super well he's probably the best writer in hollywood right now his dialogue is just is amazing edgar rice is good as as well but i mean not many people can match tarantino at least in dialogue yeah yes i don't know if i would say writing as a whole but for dialogue writing, yeah. Yeah, dialogue. Not, yeah, because writing, you would have to include <laughs> the story, and sometimes that doesn't always hold up. But it's dialogue. I mean, it could be, like, the worst story, but, man, he'll captivate you for 10 minutes just with two people talking. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. I, 
I have him and Kevin Smith up there with like some of the best dialogue writers out there right now. I would have to disagree with Kevin Smith. I feel no, like you're that's fine. Like a whole nother discussion. No, you're, you're fine. <laughs> I, I recently watched a Kevin Smith movie, Dogma, which uh-huh. it was weird. His his writing, you can tell he's a very clever writing, but the dialogue just got childish sometimes. And I seen like a bit of Clerks, and I feel like that happens too. But like the biblical references and everything that he was making in Dogma and some of the points that he was raising, I was like, oh, this is really good. And then he just goes into like this very raunchy humor that's yeah i'm not trying to be a prude it's it's something else it's just kind of his no, deal no, no. yeah that's that's where i'm in <laughs> <laughs> i would also say even though edgar wright doesn't beat tarantino in dialogue edgar wright is still great in dialogue oh yeah i think yeah. oh yeah when it comes to when it comes to movie dialogue there's two things i really like and there's either believable believable dialogue so you can actually believe the conversation that's happening happening in real time with real people and then there's like the hyper clever dialogue like you'd see in Tarantino films or Gilmore Girls where like real people would not talk like this, but it's clever. It's fast paced. It's just really, you know, nice to listen to. And I think Edgar Wright, rather than going, you know, heavy into the hyper clever dialogue like Tarantino does, I think he blends the two. And while a lot of it is hyper clever and none of it ever ends my suspension of disbelief for the believable dialogue yeah i definitely agree and the way he foreshadows as well and just puts it in normal conversation goes to show how he can just easily put everything on the same the same level i mean my personal opinion is that i don't think there is no director alive that understands the medium of film better than edgar wright um just the way he makes movies he doesn't make movies that are great with dialogue or great with visuals or great with music or you know he doesn't it it, it, it's not style over substance it's not substance over style it's style with substance and i don't think there's a director alive who can do it like edgar wright can using his medium and i would dare to say in my own opinion that there's never been a director who's understood the medium better than edgar wright um but I mean, people have got their favorite directors, so I won't, you know, tread too much on that ground. But I will definitely say uh, I'll put my foot down on the living directors like he's nobody understands the medium better than he does. Yeah, we might talk a little bit about that a little bit later on when we talk more about his style in general. But let's go to talk about what uh, critics had to say about this movie and how it was received. So um, in general, these were all fairly well received. Shaun of the Dead, um, which spawned in part from Edgar Wright and actor Simon Pegg's appreciation from George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, uh, which we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, It currently has a 92% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and currently has a worldwide box office total of over 30 million. The buddy comedy-inspired Hot Fuzz currently has a 91% critics to Rotten Tomatoes score and a worldwide box office over 80 million. I think that's the one that has the most profit as of right now. And uh, Body Statures Inspired for World's End has an 89% critic score and over 46 million worldwide box office total. Those obviously aren't numbers compared to a lot of like our blockbuster, but they did all make their profit. Um, and they were all pretty well received when it was released um, in domestically and internationally. Um, Shaun of the Dead won Best Screenplay at the British Independent Film Awards. Hot, Fun, Hot Fuzz won the British Best British Comedy Film Award at the BAFTA LA Awards. And all three films have won awards at the Empire Awards, as in the Empire Magazine. Nice. 
Yeah, that's. I think it really sounds like people slept on World's End, though. Yeah, I definitely. I, I think that's a lot better than some people give it credit for. Yeah, not saying that it's not as not saying that it's the best one out of the trilogy, but I, I feel think, like it could should have done better. I think that's as a result of one of the best and worst things about Edgar Wright is that you have to watch a, one of his movies multiple times before you get all the layers of the movie and mm -hmm. you know critics and people who are handing out awards aren't going to be watching these movies multiple times and by the time people really understand the genius of some of these movies reward season is already over and 89 percent critic score though is really good on rotten tomatoes yeah so in general they they all have a, a pretty good critical reception which um lead me to a question i was kind of talking about this a little bit earlier me and Bryant recently had a discussion about what qualifies as a cult film or a cult classic. And I know I've seen things about Shaun of the Dead specifically being a cult classic and a cult having a cult following. So, Bryant, do you want to share what your definition of a cult classic is? So, I actually did some research for that uh, because of the possibility of us doing another uh, cult episode. But... I originally said that it's a movie that doesn't do well at first and later uh, picks up some picks up some steam. It gets a following. It even gets a fandom. That's not correct. That usually is actually, it, it correlates with it. So a cult classic is what you said during the Top Gun. I forget if I edited it out or not, but it's a film with, well, because we went off on a whole nother tangent. We did it's not go because on a tangent. I, <laughs> It's not because I, don't I edited you out because you disagreed. Cut that out. <laughs> yes. So it's a film that has a certain niche to it. It has a niche following to it. It has a certain amount of, it has a certain fandom to it. It's not widely appreciated. It's not mainstream followed. So, but that usually happens with these films during the box office because you have a niche group, they tend not to really make money. And these niche groups find this. And again, when you are niche, when something is limited and you're not getting much of it, then, you know, you, you hold on to it and you keep it close to you. And that's where it gets that strong fandom behind it. So would you agree then that this trilogy falls under cult classic status? Yes, definitely would. The reason being, I mean, Shaun of the Dead already is in its own category it's a lot of people say it's a parody of zombie films but it's actually a parody of zombie films and rom-coms which the uh the crew refers to it as the rom-com zom there's no other rom-com zom out there like this this is this is it warm bodies uh, uh oh good point yeah warm bodies <laughs> but that came out but to be fair it, there wasn't one at the time definitely not because that definitely yeah. that movie would have never happened without Shaun of the Dead. Definitely not. Exactly. With a lot of films. Uh, same with Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is its own British action film. There's not many British action films out there. And then The World's End. I mean, at this point, people are following Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Like that's and Nick Frost. They're following this sort of comedy. It's now it's created its own comedy. It's created, it's like, there's so many things in there from the running visual gags to the, you know, the, the actual Cornetto rapper being inside of the films, uh, callbacks to dialogues. It's, it's, 
within its own universe. So this is called the Cornetto Ice Cream Trilogy, because Cornetto Ice Cream first came into play in Shaun of the Dead. You see the character Ed eating the Cornetto Ice Cream after he had a hangover. And this is because Edgar Wright once had a Cornetto Ice Cream to cure himself of a hangover. And he, he said it worked. I haven't personally tried that, but, you know. <laughs> there, there's a little bit of scientific, scientific evidence to back it up. Really? Um, okay. I mean, the the dairy, uh, the the chocolate ice cream has vitamin D, um, in it, which helps with hangovers. And then there's, you know, the cone itself is carbs, and uh, yeah. So I mean, like, there's a little bit of scientific evidence behind it. Granted, I'm lactose intolerant, so it probably would not help me. <laughs> probably not. It would change focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Cornetto ice cream, yeah. Well, Cornetto ice cream actually at the London premiere, Shaun of the Dead actually gave them all free ice cream, free strawberry Cornetto. So they, according to Edgar Wright, I don't know if this is the entire reason that he did this, but he mentioned that the reason why they put it in Hot Fuzz again, the Cornetto ice cream, was because they wanted to try to get free ice cream again at the premiere for that, which unfortunately they didn't. I believe that. It's the whole reason he started the Cornetto trilogy, also known as the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy, is he was just trying to get more free ice cream. Yeah. I can't fault him for that. Good tactic. <laughs> Granted, he made millions of dollars, so he could just get all the ice cream that he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. So let's talk a little bit about our opinions of these films individually. Actually, oh. while we're on the Cornetto um, topic, what, why is it called Three Flavors of Cornetto? Well, uh, Shaun of the Dead is Strawberry, Hot Fuzz is Classico, and The World's End is Mint. And the reason for that is the strawberry being the blood. Um, So the zombies, you have the blood and gore, so they went with strawberry. Blue for the classic, they went with that for the police force to represent them. And then you have mint chocolate because the only people who like that are aliens from outer space. I love mint chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's because the... The green is supposed to represent sci-fi, which is what the world's end is, is a sci-fi movie. Or I'm just an alien. <laughs> I haven't ruled that out. You also eat plain potato chips. I do. I like them. With some pickles. Anyways. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into our opinion of each of these films. And let's go ahead and start with Shaun of the Dead first, obviously, because that comes first. And just a quick little plot summary for this without any spoilers. Shaun of the Dead follows Simon Pegg's character and his friend, played by Nicholas Frost. His friend is named Ed. I think for the purposes of this podcast, they're just going to be Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, because I don't know if I could remember their names in each entire trilogy. <laughs> But, no, same thing we did with the Oslo trilogy. I know, same, yeah. And it's kind of like the Oslo trilogy. It's an unrelated trilogy. This one's definitely a lot more fun. Um, but this film follows Simon Pegg. He's kind of just going about his life, following the same routine. And then one day, a zombie apocalypse hits. And it kind of follows his um, way of dealing with that. And also, at the same time, he's navigating a relationship uh, a breakup in a relationship that happened because his life is not providing enough excitement for his partner and his lifestyle. So that's just a brief, brief plot summary of Shaun of the Dead. But let's go ahead and talk about our opinions on that one before we go into the other ones. So I want to say a lot of people 
say about a lot, all of these movies, but especially Shaun of the Dead, is that it, it's a it's a parody movie that it like parodies rom coms and zombie movies. I, I disagree. I don't think that this movie is a parody. I think it's a send up. I mean, like it definitely sends up zombie movies and and sends up rom coms. But like the thing about a parody is a lot of people do things in a parody for like the sake of the joke. Um, and in this movie, um, everything that characters do within the film make perfect sense given the circumstances. And uh, it even all says something about the human trait of keeping everything the same, even when it's against our own interests or even a detriment to do so. So, like, it's... I think calling it a parody leads you to not take it as seriously as you could. Um, Which, I mean, it's still a comedy, so, I mean, take anything I say with a grain of salt when it comes to that. I mean... But there's a lot of things that can be learned from this movie that if you just write it off as ha ha funny zombie movie, you'll miss. Yeah, I think there's a lot of elements of parody, but I would be um, slow to also label it directly as a parody and only that. I would say that this is a parody, but it is not a spoof. And a spoof is when it's just played up for laughs. Like you have um, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, or worse, I hate to bring them up. I forgot their names. I believe they were two brothers, and they're the ones that made all the the movies. They made all the um, all the scary movies. They made disaster movie, epic movie, Meet the Spartans. Yeah, epic movie is literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. It's the only movie I ever walked out on in my entire life like literally i was in the theater watching that movie and i walked out on it i wish i had done that (laughs) yeah i don't know why i sat through it i was a young teenager at the time too and i looked at it and i said this is childish (laughs) so i would say this is a parody because a parody imitates uh, another work Uh, and then also further on you have homage which is just referencing something but this fits in a parody in where with all of these films you can take out the comedy bit and you still have a great straight movie. It doesn't rely on the comedy. The comedy is there. You get some laughs. But this is still very much a zombie movie. There's still the zombie tragedy that happens throughout it. It's still a suspenseful ride of survival. But it still imitates a lot of what we've seen before, especially from Night of the Living Dead. So I'll still say it's a parody. I don't think that takes away anything from it. I mean, that's what they were going for. I'll say that people underestimate it and like think that this is just straight up a zombie parody. No, this is a parody of rom-coms as well in the beginning more so, uh, which adds another layer of comedy. But again, you take away all that comedy, you still have a great straight movie here. I do want to talk a little bit about George Romero and uh, Night of the Living Dead for a minute, just because we did a whole episode on this film. And if you want to go back and listen to that, it, it does tie into this a little bit. But George Romero, uh, obviously his films was a great influence on this, but he did actually enjoy the film. So Edgar Wright, they sent him a film, uh, a private screening of the film, so that they could get his blessing, since it was taking so much for about even the title and everything. And he actually did say that he um, enjoyed it. He enjoyed the film. So it got George Romero's blessing, so that's good. I think also, for me personally, there is a reference, a specific reference, where the character of Ed in Shaun of the Dead says, we're coming to get you, Barbara. 
And I was like so happy during that scene because previously, uh, before we did that podcast episode, I hadn't seen Night of the Living Dead. So now being able to understand that reference with this second viewing, I think I enjoyed it a lot more because of that. Which which also kind of goes more like into the whole parody issue as well. Because, you know, it does do those little callbacks to mm -hmm. uh, Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that. It doesn't always have to be silly. Also... The Zucker brothers were not responsible for all of those movies. Sorry, they were accessories to the crime. I didn't get a chance <laughs> to talk, so I had to defend my boys. <laughs> they did enough. They did Scary Movie 4, then that's it. They didn't do Scary Movie 3? No, that was the Wayans. Oh, yeah, the Wayans are to blame a little bit, too. They got the ball they, rolling. They didn't even try to come back. <laughs> the Zucker brothers did more than one, though. Give me a second. Yeah, you're right. They did three. But the Wayans were still involved with three and four. They shall all be tried. <laughs> hey, I got basketball and airplane. I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> that, that those two different <laughs> sides of the spectrum. But Same people, though. Same people. Really? Yeah. You think you know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, George Romero liked this movie so much that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright had played cameos as zombies in his movie land of the dead that i didn't know oh yeah i do remember that yeah that's really cool things you forget and then kind of remember fondly <laughs> is that the one with the sky flowers actually i haven't seen land of the dead and i think that's the one that i need to finish to finish the trilogy of the dead you know the trilogy night of the living dead dawn of the dead and i think it's land missed, of the dead you missed one Night of the Living Return. Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. No, back that up. Night of the Living yeah, Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Yes, that Day of the Dead is the one I need to finish. And then Land of the Dead is the fourth one. Gotcha. All right. Which that's I believe is did. still Romero, and I believe that's still... Yeah, that's still Romero, but it's still directly linked to Dawn and Night and Day. Something that I think this film did really well in is that it had the juxtaposition of the zombies with our main character and it fit really well because our character is is kind of lifeless he's just kind of going through the motion so having the zombies come in and kind of mirror that i thought was a, a really good choice i will say i really enjoyed the film a lot up until they made it to the bar and then it kind of went downhill for me i really liked the the queen scene of course um of but course. Then, yeah that was great but then I think some of the action and some of the serious kind of came back um, into the film. I don't think it was as much of a comedy later on. There's some serious things that happen towards the end. And it, it kind of lost me a little bit, I think. But everything up until that point, I absolutely loved. I think in the bar, I don't know, there's still some good visual gags that got me, such as like the dart being thrown into his head. That, that still makes me laugh. Uh but yeah, it does it does kind of dip into the seriousness. And I mean, it is towards the end. People are, things are happening to people that aren't so funny anymore. Uh, but I think it still kind of wraps it around. Uh, I think it still wraps it up well. I don't think I can talk about that particular part of the movie in depth with staying spoiler free. Yeah, we can um, talk about it more later. There is one thing that happens when they're at the bar that I think might be one of the most emotionally touching scenes to happen in a zombie film period. Um, is it the dog part? 
Uh, no, but oh, I mean, oh, oh. but I, I do have a little bit of a, a fact about that. Um, the whole dogs can't look up thing started by Big Al in this movie was literally started by Big Al in this movie. Like people on the Internet did not talk about the fact that dogs can't look up <laughs> until this movie existed. And then it became a thing. Like there are people who are literally talking about this to this day and genuinely think that dogs can't look up because of this movie. They've also changed one... the conversation to pigs, by the way. People say pigs can't look up. <laughs> it reminds me of that one YouTuber a while back who was like, do dogs have brains? I don't, do they? <laughs> who said <laughs> have that? Have you not seen that YouTube video? You'll have to look it up. No. It was like, oh, this, that's a no. this girl that she, wow. uh, she really didn't know. It was rough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> She got famous for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love to see it. Love to see it. So any other yeah. overall non-spoilery opinions on Shaun of the Dead, specifically? I think you could say this about this the entire trilogy, but this this movie has a lot of layers and a lot of things that most people are going to miss on the first time viewing. So I would recommend... If you watch it once and you enjoy it, watch it again and watch it again as many times as you still enjoy it, because each time there'll be something else that you can catch that wasn't there that you might not have caught the first time. So would you say that the first movie, Shaun of the Dead, is out of the three, most like an ogre or least like an ogre? <laughs> of the three, it is least like an ogre. Got it. You're probably right. <laughs> yeah, th this is a rewatchable movie, of course, for the, you know, the visuals and just how well it's made. But yeah, there are those layers there. And like I said before, the way he foreshadows, it's just one foreshadow after the other. When you're watching it a second or a third time, you're going to see that and you're like, oh, oh, I get, I get that now. So that it's really cool is to have a movie. You know, it's one thing just to make a good movie, but to make a good movie that people want to rewatch. And not want to rewatch just because you can't hear anything or something didn't make sense to you. No, just because it was put out there so casually that you may have missed it. So, and also I want to say this being really Edgar Wright's first film, like his first really released featured film. He did have another one, uh, but that one was real indie. This, he shows right away that he's a very competent director. Like a lot of things in this movie, you know, it's... You don't really see too much different from where he's at now. Aside from last night in Soho, I think he stepped it up even more. But that's not a bad thing that he's kind of moving up steadily because he started out almost at the peak of directing. And, you know, we talked about style. We're going to talk about it again. But he really showed his, his style here. I'll say I do have one issue with this film. And that is the one of the characters, the the character of Nick Frost, who plays the the slacker, the the slum best friend that's just mooching off of uh, his other friends who are trying to live their life and and do things well. He he did annoy me at first, like it was beyond believable at certain points. But I think w towards the end, I started feeling their friendship more, and I started to understand things more. Uh, and, and that was nice. But in the beginning, it did kind of push me off a bit. And watching it a second time, even knowing that it's going to come back around and things are going to kind of mend up, it still bothered me. 
when uh simon was writing this movie with edgar he actually based the relationship that uh sean and ed have on the actual relationship that he had with nick um when they were growing up um and nick actually admits that the character of ed is not that different from the person that he was back then when he was living as sean's roommate um so i mean like it's one of those things where you can tell in the movie like the way that they portray that friendship like they actually had the experience of being there and being those friends and talking about things this trilogy starting out strong their bromance and their chemistry between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are definitely there they do seem like they've been longtime friends right at the first scene yeah I mean it's real I mean like even when uh in Hot Fuzz um Simon's character was supposed to have a uh, female love interest. And when they removed that for the majority of the movie, they just gave a bunch of her lines to Nick. And it just works because of how much they love each other platonically. I think uh, a couple other things that I really liked in Shaun of the Dead as opposed to the other two. It's, it's in the other two, but I think Shaun of the Dead does it the best. Is one, the transitions between scenes. I think the transitions in this film were phenomenal. You see objects moving across the screen and it wipes to the next. You have some cuts that were very creative. I think just visually, the transitions were incredibly smart. Uh, and like I said, he does this in a lot of his other films, but for me, Shaun of the Dead definitely stuck out to me. And also just the way that tension was built in this film, I really enjoyed because you had this build up so much of this tension and where you think that Simon Pegg's character is going to realize that the zombie apocalypse is happening and then it, it, it undercuts it with humor. And I, I mean, we've seen this happen before in other movies and other Edgar Wright movies, but I, I really enjoyed that aspect of Shaun of the Dead in particular. Yeah, I'll say that just based off of what you said, or building on what you said, I should say, um, he does that in a lot of his movies, that that transition, the the way he paces things. Um, he makes movies like you're watching a comic book. So, like, you, you, you kind of watch it, and you see how the scenes transition over, and, like, you know, the dialogue he puts into it. I would love to see this man uh, take take a series in a comic book at, at some time i would love to see it i know he was supposed to do ant-man at one point differences created oh. differences <laughs> right well i mean not just a comic book movie i want to see him do a comic book mm. he did okay he oh what'd he do what'd he do the plot holes of Shaun of the dead oh okay yep. yeah uh, so. it's an but entire like comic book else. series <laughs> it's an entire it's an entire comic book based on Shaun of the dead but it's all stuff that you don't see on screen he's like all right guys uh we're gonna reschedule (laughs) (laughs) but if you haven't if you haven't read it and you did enjoy Shaun of the dead i would recommend looking it up there's a lot of things that like he is literally addressing haters in the comic book where like how does that work like how did how did this have this thing happen in the movie and like he literally addresses it and even gives an epilogue to some of the characters where we don't know what happened to them so let's go ahead and move on to Hot Fuzz. Bryant, do you want to provide a quick plot summary for Hot Fuzz? Yes. Yes. Dang it, I thought you had all the summaries. All right, <laughs> let me, uh, I got this, I got this. Uh, okay, so a high-speed cop who works in the city gets transferred over to the country because he's too high-speed. Uh, in the country, he's considered by the other cops to be over the top, 
while all these accidents, quote-unquote, are occurring around him in this small, quiet country town, or actually it's a village, he's starting to suspect that there's a deeper conspiracy within the village itself. And he sets out in what he tries at first as a one-man army before teaming up with Nick Frost to uncover what's really going on within this village. So Hot Fuzz itself was very much, um, it was the British action film that you mentioned. You know, he had studied a lot of um, buddy cop movies and action films from the U.S. And so it's kind of a British film mimicking American films. Um, And we actually talked about this before when we talked about the French New Wave in some of our episodes and in particular the movie Breathless by Godard. Um, And I think we also talked a little bit about Edgar Wright in our Breathless episode because of how he uses quick cuts to progress the action. So uh, coming back to um, Rick, your comment about Edgar Wright, you know, understanding the medium of film more than any other director, I would say Edgar Wright got a lot from Jean-Luc Godard. And I would say, personally speaking, for me, that is Jean-Luc Godard, just because of how much I see Godard's style in Edgar Wright's style. I can't argue. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking the same thing when he was saying the medium and directors who have come close to that. I would still say Jean-Luc Godard, sometimes this film go a little too (laughs) out there. Like we said, sometimes there's just, there's just randomness. And other times we don't exactly know what's, going on so i think i don't think his style is over substance all the time but i think he's still kind of you still see that style there i don't think the medium is there but i also agree that and we talked about it during breathless we may not have had edgar wright or edgar wright may not even know that he's been influenced by john luke Godard and by the french new wave yeah because it was just such a big influence in general yeah i just think with edgar wright absolutely nothing is wasted every single piece of scenery every sign every line of dialogue every piece of the score and soundtrack it all works together to connect to something else there's there's nothing that's just there because it's there if you watch the movies and i I won't give examples because some of it could be spoilers but it every single thing is just connected to something else the mise-en-chon, as they would call it in French. Everything that's on the screen. This is a non-explicit podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, with this one, though, I mean, we've been praising Edgar Wright a lot, and there's a lot to praise. However, for Hot Fuzz, I think he slipped just a little bit. Like, I think he lost some balance in this one. Uh, the first thing, the editing, I thought was too much. Uh, the editing being his crash crashed zooms that he likes to use along with his uh his editing partner chris dickens i think it was a little bit too much and i was reading that this was supposed to be a parody of the american action film such as michael bay they even mentioned it bad boys 2 in here which i found cool when they were doing paperwork and yeah paperwork's a huge portion of it that you never see in american films and then he edits it like it's a real action film but then when the action films come up there's so much fast cutting. It's it's almost like you're not doing a parody. You're you're actually doing it, and you're actually you're actually just recreating the issue with all those all those cuts. It's like it's no longer a joke. You're literally you're literally doing the cliche. I think also the movie dragged a little bit in the middle. I feel like I was watching the same thing over and over again. When once the the accidents start to occur, 
you kind of go through the same rhythm with everybody and sort of the same things are being said and being reemphasized. And I'm like, all right, I got it. Can we, let's develop this a bit. And talking about the development, I think the twist was really cool because it was like, there was a twist within the twist. And that was, that was dope because you may think, you know, what's really going on. And then no, it's, it's something even different. It's something even crazier. I think also that I had, but I still think like the middle was enjoyable for, for most of it. There were still some gags that had me laughing. I wasn't totally bored or anything. The visual gags were still there. I still had a lot of fun with those, the homages, the wordplay. But I think this one, I don't know. I think this is when he almost got into that style over substance that he later brought back, fortunately. But I didn't enjoy this one as much as the others. I disagree. I think for me, it didn't drag in the middle. It dragged in the end once again. And I think uh, I'm going to save a thing, thing for the world's end, actually. I think at some point after the twist, it became a straightforward action movie. In Shaun of the Dead, towards the end, it seemed more of a straightforward zombie movie. World's End, it seems straight more sci-fi. So it kind of loses some of the charm to me that it had towards the end. And I wonder, for me, I wonder if that's a reoccurring theme with Edgar Wright. Because I know, you know, talking to you about Last Night in Soho, he kind of was disappointed by how that ended. And he kind of came more of a straightforward noir story. So I feel... um for me, that's going to be a problem with me for Edgar Wright, but that doesn't mean I don't love his style. And as far as Hot Fuzz overall, I I think this one was the funniest one to me. I think I got the most laughs out of this one. And I think the humor was so juvenile most of the time, but I was eating it up. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And I don't know what that says about me, but, you know, I liked it. There's a lot of play on words, um, and I don't know. I thought this was the one that I got the most laughs out of. Yeah, the female cop definitely had a lot of childish lines, but I was laughing at all of them. Oh, good old Olivia Coleman. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, like I was saying before, I think all three of these movies are, are three of the, the funniest written movies of all time. Um, and I think when it comes to the comedy, I do think Hot Fuzz takes it. Um, but I mean, I think with it being especially, you know, toward the end or a, a straight up action movie, it kind of, uh, I think it was supposed to be. I think the fact that Edgar Wright did a better action movie than some of those straight up action movie on the low budget with the amount of time that he had and still packed all those other things in there too just goes to show uh, how good of a movie it is. I mean, it all comes down to personal opinion. I mean, like if you didn't want to see the straight action movie, that's not what you're here for. You're not going to enjoy it. Um, but the other thing is, but, you know, I'm, I'm just going to save that again because we're heading into spoiler territory. <laughs> oh, you just that's where you stopped. OK. Yep. Wow. That was abrupt. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sorry. Like, I was about to go into a whole rant there, but like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot uh, do this it, without spoilers. <laughs> um, I, I will say that. Uh, what were you saying? I think that that being uh, it, it turning into an actual action film was actually probably the biggest twist of the movie. Because people were expecting it to be a parody just like, you know, Shaun of the Dead. And then it ends up, it becoming an action movie is it making a parody of itself, which I thought was great. Also, Hot Fuzz was the first movie out of the three that showed me that the Cornetto trilogy is you're watching the movie twice. 
every one of the Cornetto movies, you watch it twice because you get the first part of the movie and then the same stuff happens in the second half of the movie. It's except it's in a different light. It's it, it's really funny to watch. Like once you realize what's going on, like, um, well, I guess I can I, I think if I try to think about it and I find an example, I'm going to say it and it's going to be a spoiler. <laughs> so I guess I'll wait. But yeah, it's definitely that was what that's one of the my favorite parts about this trilogy is that they make me watch the movie twice. So, yeah, I will say it didn't have as much of a tonal shift for me as severe as Shaun of the Dead. I think Shaun of the Dead definitely had a major tonal shift because of something that that happens in the end. For me, that was personally a little jarring. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I do have a question for Brian because I know that I don't I mean maybe you guys too if you've seen this movie. But who is more inept, the cops in Hot Fuzz or the cops in Memories of Murder? Who are more incompetent? Yeah. Memories of Murder. <laughs> because at least at least like finally when this movie needs cops, they're there. Memories of Murder, they were just incompetent like from beginning to end. I don't understand how they were even put into like into their position. Uh, and that was a... Who was the director film. of that movie? It was... Uh, um, oh, gosh. Uh, the Parasite. director of Parasite. Parasite. It's a critically acclaimed film, Memories of Murder, but I, I would not recommend it. The, the greatest thing about that is that there was one cop, and I worked law enforcement, and I wish I knew about this technique before I got out, <laughs> is that he would put on a booty, like not, not like actual boot, like just a booty, like, you like know, like, if you're not trying to scuff the floor, so you put a little booty over your shoes so you don't scuff the floors, the brand new mm. floors. Yes. He would put that on, and he would go interrogate the subject, and by that, he would go ahead and drop kick the subject while they were sitting down in a chair. And this happened multiple times in the movie. It was brilliant, uh, but not the best way to do police work. And actually, this film, this film actually depicts the police work pretty well. Uh, especially with the paperwork, because they did interview a lot of police officers, and what they found out is that a lot of them complained about the paperwork. And I can tell you, yes, the, the paperwork is ridiculous. You'll spend 75% of your time with a case doing the paperwork, if not 90% of it. You'll be on a case, you know, you can respond out to the scene, be out there for 10 minutes, come back, and have a day's worth of paperwork. It just works like that. Uh, so that was cool to see that. However, they had it, and it was real tight, and this officer is supposed to be real high speed, and then he has a couple missteps. And granted, I don't think like the casual viewer will see him, but me being in the field before, I was like, that, like, why would you even, like, when he does the first accusation, like, why would you do that without proper evidence? And then there were some other, some other missteps towards the end. But for the most part, it was pretty, it was tighter than most police, it was more believable than most police movies. Yeah, I would argue that, that the, the police in Hot Fuzz aren't incompetent. I'd I'd say that they're they're pretty good. Um, I even even Nick, um, I think becomes a good police officer, and I I can go more into why once we hit the spoiler section. There is a scene in Hot Fuzz where there is a drop kick, and I just thought to myself, "Where's his booty?" And that's why I brought that up. But I was wondering <laughs> exactly. if you would be more more critical of hot fuzz than the others in the trilogy because of your background yeah i guess i i am a little bit more critical with it i mean like with anybody in their field watching a movie 
they're going to notice certain things that you wouldn't do in that profession. But I got to say, like, some of it was some of it was pretty spot on. And then some things didn't really work out too well. And that that sometimes is understandable because you have a story. You have beats that you need to hit. So sometimes you got to kind of move things in a certain way. And they may not be totally accurate. I would say this movie also had not one, but two characters that annoy me, unlike Shaun of the Dead. Actually, they annoy me throughout the whole film, also unlike Shaun of the Dead. And that was the two detectives, the two Andes. And I can go more into it during the spoilers, but their attitude throughout the film was, that's where I started feeling that repetition in what was going on. Yeah, I think that's more with them as where I was mentioning the ineptness. Yeah, I would have probably caught that if I knew what that word meant. <laughs> Inept. I don't know the meaning of the word. Oh, ineptness. Okay. Inept. I got you now. Oh, See, when you break it down. There went my joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought you were speaking French again. Oh, yeah. You said it so <laughs> I don't know if the video song. clicked out or something. <laughs> Nepotism. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely there. Both squad forces. I will say I'm very happy that we did this, we're doing this episode because another influence that Wright cited for this movie as being an influence was the action films of Tony Scott. And last week we just did our Top Gun episode, so I thought it was very timely. I think I messaged Brian before we started filming or recording this that I feel like this was very much a buildup of all of our previous episodes that we've done. So I liked that link. <laughs> no, there, there definitely are a couple links in here, especially again when you have a movie that's parodying, parodying or doing homages. They're going to do them to towards the greats, and that's what we discuss. Mm-hmm. Any other opinions you guys want to share on Hot Fuzz? I think I'm good. I mean, I really, I really liked it. Um, once I, I, I think I had to watch it again to really like it because I was expecting another Shaun of the Dead, but um. But yeah, no, I really, I really liked it. Uh, but past that, yeah, I think I'm. Oh, I'm oh one thing I do want to say: as long as we're talking about Shaun of the Dead being a send up of zombie movies and rom coms, I believe that Hot Fuzz is not only a send up of like police action movies and like body cop movies, but also uh, a slasher films. Um, like a lot of the the kills and everything like that all happen the way they do in slasher films. Like a lot of the the reveals and twists are homages to to slasher films. And I think you have to add in the fact that this is also um, a send up of slasher films as well. It it really did kind of feel like I was watching Dale and Tucker versus the world. I should not think about evil, the victims. The the victims of Hot Fuzz actually they play into the character types the archetypes of the horror slasher victims didn't think about that before yeah and yeah i do see the uh tucker verse um the tucker and dale versus evil also the scream-esque kind of cloak mm-hmm. that you see which i mean though that kind of stuff like uh that stuff that you're talking about right now kind of also plays a lot into a lot of the the, the 70s horror movies, like the Italian kind of uh, cult-esque, because, you know, they were, man, I'll tell you what, Satan was the big bad guy in those movies way back then. Was like They always went, like, The Exorcist. Um, there was, like, oh, my God, I can't remember the, the name Omen. of that Italian. Yeah, The, the Omen, too. Um, there's, an Itali- there's an Italian movie where, like, this priest is trying to break all of the... Uh, 
all of the commandments so that he can go fight the devil or something like it's so dumb but <laughs> but yeah it, I, I think it was doing a big callback to that too i could be wrong but so let's go ahead and move on to the world's end which i keep wanting to call it at the world's end or Same. yeah which is the pirates of the caribbean movie mm-hmm. i had to correct myself a couple times <laughs> Well, it's either that or the end, and that's someone else entirely as well. Mm-hmm. Same amount of drunkness. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so the world's end, I guess I'll do the plot summary for this one. So the world's end follows Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, who is on a mission to complete a bar crawl that he attempted with his mates back when they were young. So he's bringing the band all together, going back to his hometown, and trying to go through 12 bars, the last bar being the world's end. But along the way, I found out that not everything is as it seems. And that's where the aliens come in. And here's a link that you have not seen yet, which is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a movie uh, that I, I really enjoy and is a very clever movie as well. The original or the new one? There's actually three. There's the original, the first remake, and then the remake. And there's actually a sequel to the first remake, I think, or it's the sequel to the second remake. Is that called Revenge of the Body Snappers? Body Snappers? Body Snatchers? Body Snappers. You get taken over <laughs> by turtles. I saw right? the one that has either, I don't remember if it's Naomi Watts or Nicole Kidman, but one of those blondes. That's the, that's the new new one, and that's called something yeah. else entirely. I, I can't think it's just it Invasion. Is. Oh, is it? I think. I could be wrong. Or Snatchers? Snatchers. Snatchers. The, uh, <laughs> wait, did it have Nicole Kidman? Yeah. That's why I said one of those blahs. Nicole Kidman or Naomi Watts. I couldn't yeah, remember which the one. The evasion. The, oh, okay, got it. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, that's the one that I've seen. The one, I, the one I'm talking about and the one that's a must-see is the evasion of the body snatchers with good old Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. In 1970s. God, that prime. was, that was creepy, man. That that definitely took a that definitely took an old movie that you know a kid could watch and turn that into something that was messing with your mind. And that movie also has some very clever visual storytelling as well. So is that the first remake? Yes. Yes, Donald okay. Sutherland, nineteen seventy eight. Okay, I was gonna say I was like I think the original was older than that. I think I've seen parts of the original like in school at some point. I the nineteen sixty. Like, probably. I think probably. that was another one of those kind of racist movies. You were in like third grade that time, right? No, shut, shut up. <laughs> but I think that we talked about that in regards to that kind of era of horror where it has some racial undertones. But Yeah, that'd be the 1960s. Yeah. The yeah. 1970s started getting social with their, uh, with their horror movies. But the world's end. The world's end. <laughs> <laughs> so this is generally considered... The, I would say the worst of the franchise. We said it has the lowest tomato score. I hate saying worst because it's not bad. Weakest? Weakest. Yeah, there we go. Weakest. Do you guys... I won't ask if you agree with that in completely. We'll get to our ranking later, but, but what are your opinions on this one? Do you feel like this was lacking anything? I will say... I'll say that it's kind of unfair for me because it has a bit of a um, personal touch to it. Um, we had... We went to go see it, and we did a pub crawl. And we ended our pub crawl at the movie theater and watched the movie. So it had a good memory attached to it. And then and then, watching it and not wanting to relate to 
Simon Pegg's character, but then completely relating to Simon Pegg's character, it kind of has a special spot for me. Now, as as far as a movie goes, yes, it may not be the strongest out of the three, but it's always going to have sentimental value to me. I do think that there is a lot to relate to in this film a little bit more than even the other ones. Good or bad, I think this is the one of the the one of the three where Edgar Wright putting foreshadowing and symbolism and like little Easter eggs and like everything connecting to everything. This is the one where it is the most obvious. Um, I, uh, one more thing before I forget the, I think the biggest twist is that this movie about alien is pro aliens is probably the most human out of all the three. Yeah. I would agree with that. Okay, but, Rick, you may go, but this is the one that, that started me really hunting through all of the Edgar Wright's films to find every single little thing in the background, every number, every audio sting, every line that foreshadowed something that would happen later. Um, it's not that I didn't notice it in the other ones. It's just like, oh, that's like, that's cool. But like at the world's end is the one that like started me on really dissecting the movies. So, I mean, I, I love it for that. This is also the one with the lowest audience score at only 71. So this, I wonder also if this one had a bigger release since riding off the, the first two uh, successful ones and brought in people who are not fans of this and probably didn't understand. Again, where this is a cult classic trilogy. It's very, it's very niche with its humor and its storytelling. But I think, again, all the positives are still here and they're still just as well. Uh, so no need to beat a dead horse with it. But if we did, again, I would want Edgar Wright to direct it. I don't. I think this one was tighter. I think this one was better paced than Hot Fuzz. I think this one had a little bit of a faster pace than Shaun of the Dead. It just kind of keeps ramping up and ramping up. I I don't think this is the the weakest one. I don't even think this one is weak. It probably feels the most like studio made maybe or like the most mainstream of them and some people may see it as like a sellout but i don't i don't think that's there like yeah it has that money behind it but i don't think it's lost any of its heart or its style also i probably laughed at this one the most i feel like for me stylistically it wasn't the same as the previous two. I don't think we saw as many quick cuts, as many interesting transitions. I don't think it was as stylized as the other ones. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of character crash zooms. It was a lot of quick cuts. It run, this one reminded me a lot of Requiem for a Dream, or so when they're doing the when they're lighting up the meth. But like the constant editing in this is just them pouring the beer. That's where you get your most edits. Uh, the fight scenes. I mean, I enjoy the fight scenes more in this one, but that's also because I don't like quick edit fight scenes. I think when you're doing quick edit fight scenes, it's because you're not uh, confident in your choreograph. So this one, the choreograph was on point. The music was on point. So there wasn't really a lot of quick cuts there. Not saying that the quick cuts can't be used or the crash zooms because Scott Pilgrim, they make that editing work again, even during their fights. But yeah, like you said, it's it. I think it's there, but it's not as prominent as the other ones. Yeah, the fight scenes in this are all long shots, 
and they had the same fight coordinator as the Kingsman, which I think really shows. I mean, like the the that fight scenes shows. in the World's End are are fantastic. You know what? I was just thinking every single one of these movies have beautiful pubs, beautiful pubs. I would go to any of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I want to go have a drink at one of these. <laughs> I wouldn't, because look, look what happens. You go, you have one drink, and then you just end up there for the rest of your life. Starbucking, man. You eventually get tapped by zombies and cults and aliens. Okay, to robots. Be, to be fair, they're slow zombies. I think we can do it. You you think so until like they get those hordes? Like, oh yeah, no, this ain't this so, isn't great. Well, I guess we're here Dave, now. David thought he could handle it too. It's fair. I've been I've been chased around a playground by like. 38 year olds and gotta say it gets pretty tiring yeah yeah you, yeah. you eventually you eventually just run out of steam and just give up oh, and really when you take 38 little... year olds not 38 year olds not 38 year olds 30 <laughs> like, like okay too, like why are you chasing uh, around 38 year olds in the playground <laughs> to be fair they're both going to be just as fast <laughs> Yeah, well, let me go ahead and explain the story, because it's actually a good story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. So, eight-year-olds, quantity 30. I was working bike patrol, and it was also like the school liaison that we did as well. So I went over there, we would go to school, uh, while working in law enforcement, and just make sure that everything's going well in school, show our presence, show that we're there for them. We'll help out the teachers sometimes during like lunch or... We'll go out to the the playground, speak with the kids. Also, you know, kind of seeing if anything's going on as well. Well, uh, fittingly, one of the kids wanted to play a zombie game in which they were the zombie. Well, that one kid infected another kid and then they became the zombies. And then all of a sudden, these three little kids are chasing me. But then other kids from the playground start noticing this. And then all of a sudden, it's like World War Z. Kids just start jumping off of playground equipment, joining this horde of just chasing me around in a big circle until I finally just got tired and I just gave up. I was like, all right, you guys got me. And I thought that was the end of the game. Yeah, I thought that was the end of the game until the kids said, okay, so now you're a zombie, Mm -hmm. but we're all humans and we're going to kill you. And I got chased around again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I haven't played that version, but I think I have played zombie in school. I didn't know my kids are still playing it. Game got easy when I got my pistol out, though. (laughs) (laughs) Easy mode activated. (laughs) Where were we? (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about some things that these films have in common without going too spoiler yet. I know that uh, themes of male friendships, of course, is very big, as well as the idea of this this kind of quarter-life crisis that that our characters having our midlife crisis, like depending on how old Simon Pegg is in the film. <laughs> yeah, I think we go from quarter life crisis to Shaun of the Dead to midlife crisis. Yeah, for I think so. End. Either way, you're in a crisis. <laughs> yeah, if you was to compare this to the Oslo trilogy, Simon is like a more messed up, more radical version of Anders in uh, August thirty first. Which one? Which movie? <laughs> Oslo, August thirty first. In in this one, the world's end. Oh, 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 okay. I wasn't sure which which uh Cornetto movie you're talking about, but yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> this one also gets rid of the 
bromance, at least between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, which some people could have been upset with. Maybe they wanted some sort of closure to this being the final of the trilogy. But I think it works out well. They just got to share the love. And I think between the five friends, it was it was pretty fun. Like I, I found... Like, I was just looking at them, and they all kind of had different facial expressions. They all had their different personalities, and, you know, good job on the actors. It's like they were in the mindset of what their character uh, was, what their personality was, and how they react to Simon Pegg's character. I think that them losing that bromance was part of it, because they started out, and Simon Pegg being who he is, his character, um, you know, you don't see them buddy-buddy. You all, you're watching that and like right in the beginning, you're watching that and you're like, okay, we we're missing something like they've lost something and they had it's like the, the characters in the story had lost something that they had when they were younger. And that, I think that that kind of gave us that impression of, Hey, you know, I kind of missed that. I kind of miss them being friends. And then you can fans don't. Yeah, go ahead. Fans don't like that. <laughs> like we saw that in the, like we saw that in the, the Last of Us game, Caitlin, I know you played it. I don't know if you guys have played that game, but there was a huge change and there was something that happened to a certain character and it makes complete sense with the story. But because they got rid of something, fans were not happy. I wouldn't say though that it got rid of the bromance. Like I said, I think it's gone at the beginning, but I think it felt even stronger at the end because of that, like when he's chasing after him at the end. Oh, it definitely did. I, I felt it a lot during the, the ending. I think it really shows that the the relationship that they have is love. It's not just, you know, a standard friendship. And I mean, like, you can have love and it not be romantic love, but they do love each other. And I mean, even with all the bad stuff and the fact that they aren't the greatest of friends now and things have happened, they still there's still that love and the love is shown. Right. I think, um, and you can't, I mean, this is all, this is an audio cast, right? So you can't really see me, but you know, I'm an old man, not really an old man, but I, you know, I'm old enough. I'm old enough to have seen friendships come. I've seen friendships go. I've had, you know, a group of friends in my twenties that I don't ever hang out with anymore. And I think that this movie really captured that feeling really well really well so yeah yeah because there was a bit of like reluctancy within the characters because they were enjoying themselves at some points and the other points are like hey we gotta we can't keep going like this and they really did want to join up but were hesitant and speaking of the ending of this film too i think honestly like the ending ending of this film felt more like a stinger than an actual ending to this film like this is something that you could have probably seen during the credits or after the credits had rolled yeah, I think it kind of ended. I see what you mean. In Ospod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit more later in our spoiler section. But let's go ahead and move on to the influence that this film had. I know we talked about the, the comic series, and there actually were a couple follow-up comics to Shaun of the Dead. So one of them was that one-off comic strip. It was for the British magazine 2000 AD. Uh, but then there was a four-issue adaptation in 2005 by IDW publishing i think that is that the one that's the the plot holes like space plot holes, or was the one off the one off is the one i was talking okay. about um because the the comic series i believe is is more covering the movie and the story of the movie um the the one off it was like literally called i believe the title was literally the plot holes of Shaun of the dead 
and it was just kind of filling in spots that you don't see in the movie. Like, uh, for example, um, before they get to the pub, Sean leads the horde away and eventually he shows up again and they're like, well, what happened to all the zombies? And he's like, I gave him the slip. And the plot holes of Shaun of the Dead shows you how he gave them the slip. Like, he actually, it follows him and, you know, running away from the zombie horde and what he had to do to get rid of them. And I think that one was included on one of the DVD special features on one of the DVD releases for that. I think so. I think so, too, because I do remember seeing that, but I don't remember, you know, holding a comic book of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of films that took influence from this directly, um, and are, I don't, I think they run more into the parody territory. There's one called Juan of the Dead, which is Spanish-Cuban film. Uh, there's also Shed of the Dead, which is another British comedy horror. And earlier we talked about Cockneys vs. Zombies, which I don't think is quite as much parody, but it's in that same kind of genre, um, and that one I actually did enjoy. I don't think I'm going to be watching Juan of the Dead anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that one, Juan of the Dead, though I am interested to like check out a little bit of it, not going to lie. <laughs> but this movie, debatably, I mean, there's there's no hard evidence. You can look at the statistics. Just look at zombie parodies and seeing the trends that have followed. Shaun of the Dead, it seems to be the one that paved the road for all these zombie parodies. For better and for worse. I mean, it was successful at the box office. It became a cult classic. It gained a fandom. People wanted more of from Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost. So that, you know, this is probably the zombie parody movie. And the reason why, you know, we started to get that zombie craze that has kind of died out now, but it's still here. We still get our zombie uh, parodies from time to time. I think it was just... A couple years ago, we got Anna and the Apocalypse, which was a musical zombie film. I was just saying, thinking of, you know, some kind of correlation, there is a zombie movie uh, with Martin Freeman called Cargo that I watched. It's not a parody. It's not really very good. But there is a zombie movie with just Martin Freeman. Yes, I saw that. I was about to say, that did not look like a funny movie. Yeah, I want to see that so bad and it's going to make me cry. I know it is, but I still want to see it. Um, there was also, I, there was also a couple movies, I think it was called, and I know these would not exist if it wasn't for Shauna then. I think one was called Cooties. Oh yeah, that did come out recently. Um, and the other one was, like, it was a scout movie. Like, oh man. But I think I saw the scout, no, I saw Cooties, I think, and that was good. No, 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 I did see the scout zombie movie. Oh, that's it. And then you have mo- Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. I, I, oh yeah, that was that was a while ago though, right? It was 2015. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. And you also have the Death Snow series, which just upped it a level. Oh yeah. You have not only zombies, you have Nazi zombies. Yeah. Oh, well, that I think that I think that maybe Shaun of the Dead had a little bit of influence of that, but I also know that there was a point in time. And I can't really pin it down, but a lot of the movies that were coming out were influenced by the exploitation movies of the 60s and 70s and stuff. Um, and that being one of them, like the the exploitation movies, horror wise, they had a lot, a lot of Nazi stuff. And it was weird, but, you know, whatever. Oh, like, oh, like Iron Sky. That was another one that came out that was kind of like that. 
um, evil Nazis that so they made B movies on purpose. That's basically what I'm getting down to. <laughs> yeah. Well, we discussed it before. Nazis are they're pretty much the ultimate bad guy. No matter the place and time, we can you can make a Nazi movie. If you're killing Nazis, you know we even see it in in media. If you're a neo-Nazi, you, you know they portray it as they're just inviting violence. But you know, communists was a big thing. Communists were being exploited in films, but we don't mm-hmm. we don't really use communists anymore. Uh, you know, the movie Red Dawn was a big one, but hey, we're quote unquote friendly with Russia or we're neutral. So we don't you know we're, we we try not to offend them. Yeah, I think even the remake of Red Dawn, though, they moved the Red Menace to another communist country, I believe. Korea. Was it Korea? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I think because I, I think America understands like we're, we're not going to make them happy. And I don't think we really can make them even matter. So, yeah, right. Let's just go. <laughs> right. This was also the start of Edgar Wright. I mean, you can be an influence upon yourself. You see that something works and people love it, and that's what happened. And Edgar Wright, he he went with that. I think some of the influences from Hot Fuzz or things that it influenced. I couldn't find a direct correlation, but the 2010 movie The Other Guys definitely comes to mind. And I think it's often sold as a two-pack, actually. <laughs> I know on Amazon there's a two-pack you can buy Hot Fuzz and The Other Guys together. I'd make a night it's, of that. Mm-hmm. I love The Other we were Guys. Getting buddy cops, <laughs> we were getting buddy cop films for a good, almost like half a decade. You had everybody teaming up. You had a 21 Jump Street. You had... Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, Cop Kevin out. Hart and Ice Cube. Jackie Chan couldn't stop teaming up with people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's true. Rush Hour. Actually, it goes pretty far back. Ru- but there was like a congested area. Oh, yeah. But I was thinking like Shanghai Noon and stuff like that as well. Which uh, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson was such a weird... <laughs> Hot Fuzz was also noted as an influence for a film that came out last year. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's Werewolves Within. I heard stylistically it was really of an influence on that film. Yeah, I've been wanting to see that movie. I'm a big uh, werewolves are my favorite monsters. So I've been wanting to see that movie and I just haven't had a chance to yet. The last time I watched a werewolf movie, I got burned, burned, I tell you. And I haven't jumped into this one yet. So so the last one. That's such an understatement to say werewolves are your favorite monster. If, like, liking werewolves is a personality, that's barren. (laughs) Um, I I don't really know right off the top of my head, and I'll just tell you why it was a disappointment instead of telling you what movie it was. It was, everybody thought, like, these there were horrible, horrible killings going on, and then everybody thought that it was a werewolf, and then it ended up not being. I know what your movie's all about. Okay, you see what I, you know what I mean? Oh, oh yes. so mad. Uh, oh, I think I recommended us watch it for a movie marathon at one point, and then you told me it was bad, and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah, I was like, get that out of here. <laughs> yeah. Get that out of uh, here. Snow Hollow, Wolf Hollow, yes. Snow it, Sleepy it, Hollow, something yeah, it, Hollow. It was in, the, it was in the, the Great White North. The Wolf of yeah. Snow Hollow. Wolf Is that what Snow it was? Hollow. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you said that you were burned by a werewolf movie recently, <laughs> I was like, I bet it was. Because I was burned by the same movie. I was like, it's the Wolf of Snow Hollow. <laughs> And I've actually seen Werewolves Within, so I can say that Werewolves Within is, I mean, already the bar is pretty low from that movie. But yeah, Werewolves Within was decent. And yeah, actually, I can see the, dang, actually, it's, really, it's very much like uh, Hot Fuzz. I didn't recognize that till really? right now. Huh. Yeah. 
it's, it's worth the watch. It's a nice light watch. I'm not going to say it's a great movie. I'm not going to uh, okay. sit here and say that you are going to like it. But to be fair, as another werewolf enthusiast, you know that there are very few yes. good werewolf movies. As another movies. werewolf en- enthusiast, I'll say go watch it because there are very few. Cool. Or you can just watch American Werewolf in London again. That's fair. Or both. Or both. <laughs> I think it's hard to say what World's End influence because it is such a newer film. Yes. I, I don't think it's even going to influence anything. It just doesn't have that popularity. I think, like, if you look at this trilogy as a whole, and it's something we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, there could be some some influence there. But I think too much, there's not too much there that wasn't already explored in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And then this is a lot of what you can get influenced by The World's End. You would get influenced by The Body Snatchers. And it's kind of hard to figure out what, like these movies specifically, it's like it's hard to really tell what these movies inspired when they themselves were so heavily inspired by other movies specifically. Yeah, a lot of times if a movie was inspired by this, you could just as easily mistake it to be inspired by what the Edgar Wright film was inspired by. Right. But, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I see... I I see, and and I I know we just had this conversation about you know is this a parody is this a spoof whatever I would I would have to say that each of these movies would be more accurately described as a love letter to these movies that so inspired Edgar Wright because I think that he actually loves these movies that he's parodying he loves them you can tell yeah. he put he gave he put so much love into these movies. That you know that, you know, he's not making fun of him. He, this is his love letter to these movies. Yeah, I think like like Shaun of the Dead, I think is just is not a parody of a zombie movie as much as you could tell Edgar Wright really likes zombie movies. So he made a good <laughs> zombie movie. Right. And like Hot Fuzz, it's not necessarily a parody of, you know, cop movies. It's Edgar Wright really liked cop movies. So he made a good cop movie. Um, yeah, I think the homages are there, but that's why I, I don't think they're parodies. I think literally like with each of these movies, Edgar Wright even could be setting a new bar for some of these genres, which I think in and of itself is probably its own influence. These three movies together are influencing other people to write these love letters, which, you know, you see them all the time. You see people write, you know, doing these movies that are love letters to genres, that are love letters to to movies and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, and I think also uh, I, Edgar Wright is also one of those um, one of those filmmakers. And it's probably because he kind of started out as a young filmmaker, like independent stuff like that. I think he inspires a lot of young independent filmmakers to really you know, put their visions out there and, and make these movies and make these love letters to, to, uh, to these genres and stuff. Is there anything else you have to say about the trilogy as a whole? Any themes or uh, any of Edgar Wright's style that is spoiler free? I, I like some, someone brought it up and I can't remember who it was, but I like the idea that each of these movies as a whole are like a, it, it's about friendship. I don't know who said it, but I completely agree with you. It, it, this is definitely showcasing friendship as a whole throughout the whole thing. And I, and I, I love that. <laughs> we'll give you credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that go, goes a lot to show. Um, yeah, these are Edgar Wright films, but Simon Pegg uh, co-wrote, I think, all three of them. Um, I could be wrong. He definitely co-wrote Shaun of the Dead. Um, 
but I think he co-wrote all three of them. And I think that is it being about friendship and that um, cohesive theme of friendship. I think that's Simon Pegg's uh, fingerprint more than it is Edgar Wright's. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, that's right, because he wrote them, too. Gee, OK, you're right. Yeah, you're probably Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe you might be right. <laughs> I'm actually going to answer your question with a question. No, no, no. Caitlin's question. My uh, question? What, what I think about, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we think about this trilogy as a whole? And something we didn't really discuss too much in the beginning of why we chose this movie. Because, you know, on our podcast, we do must-see films. Do you guys believe that each one of these films is a must-see film? Or is it just the trilogy as a whole is a must-see trilogy? That's a good question. Um, how about this? I will say that it is a must-see trilogy, but if I was to split up the movies, I would I would say it depends on who I'm talking to. So you know, I would definitely definitely say, hey, if you are a zombie movie fan, Shaun of the Dead is a must-see. You have to watch it. If you're a buddy cop movie fan, you know you like Die Hard, watch Hot Fuzz. It's like I mean, you'll love it. And if you is Die Hard buddy cop. No, kind of, uh, kind of. Okay, oh, you're oh, separating the two. Oh, okay. Well, it is kind of a buddy cop, only because he's on the radio with the dude the whole time. True. Um, and Mr. Winslow. That's right. Man, that man had an age today. It's so weird. Um, so and then, but he did lose some weight. He's looking good. The man looks good. Anyways, going back. So and then, you know, if you're into sci-fi stuff, definitely watch World's End. But, but I also, you know what? I keep going back to the World's End, but I, I I really have to be like, look, yes, watch World's End, but man, you better go into that with an open mind and be ready to see some stuff that might mess with your head a little bit. Cause, you know, go, go in with a couple, you know, there could be some, could be some triggers in here for some people. Be careful going into it, but it's worth the ride, I think. Because I think that, you know what? I think that out of all the movies, man, you guys are really starting to make me like this movie the best out of all of them now. You're making me talk it out, and it's becoming my favorite as we talk. Um, but this one, I think, makes you think the most. It's the most emotional one, I think, out of all three of them. <laughs> I shall ponder this. <laughs> it's going yeah, to take think... me a while to ponder, so move on. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back to that. <laughs> we'll talk about it more in our ranking. <laughs> I think that does lead very well into kind of our next section, which is who would you recommend these movies to? Uh, we generally think about, you know, when we talk about must-see films and kind of more of, you know, cinema, we kind of talk about things that a general audience would enjoy, things that more cinephile-type people would enjoy. Or sometimes there's movies that are for both people, or sometimes you kind of got to be more specific about what kind of demographic you're targeting when you recommend these films. Um, so who in general, like what kind of person would you recommend these to? I know you said it, it kind of depends on what genre you like. If you go to a comic book convention, watch these movies. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I would recommend, and uh, this could just be my bias, but I would recommend all three of these movies to literally anybody, just depending on the reason. Um, I, In general, like I said, I think all these movies are hilarious. Um, and none of the comedy is like punching down on anyone. None of the comedy is uh, 
extremely offensive for any reason. So I think anybody um, who likes to laugh, which if you're human, hopefully you like to laugh, can come in and watch these movies and enjoy these movies. But I do believe there are certain audiences that could enjoy these movies more and on other levels. Um, like, I personally believe that these movies could be shown in in film school. I think you could they're they're master classes in editing and putting together, you know, different shots. And I mean, it just amazes me that like I think I've already brought this up like twice, but Hot Fuzz was made on a 12 million dollar budget in on a, like an extremely tight timetable and what they accomplished on that 12 million dollar budget on that timetable is ridiculous. There's a lot of great movies that are said, you know, to be the best of all time. And so let's take Die Hard, for example, is a great action movie. Um, one of the best action movies of all time. I think Hot Fuzz does action just as good as Die Hard. And yet it also does comedy and also does commentary and also does, you know, all these other things. Great on a much smaller budget and a much smaller time. And if you're a film student or a cinephile or the kind of person who's going to pick up on that, you're going to love these movies. Um, and then, you know, like Baron was saying, if you're a fan of a particular genre, you're going to like these a little bit more than the general viewer. And if you're a nerd or a geek, <laughs> jump on it. I mean, like if you're a nerd or a geek and you haven't seen these movies, I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of that. Um, I think stylistically there is a lot to learn uh, from uh, aspiring filmmakers. I will say one caveat, though. I don't think the humor will be for everyone. Uh, I think there are people who who don't really vibe with that kind of humor. They kind of lean towards more different types of humor. My boyfriend being one, I'm just thinking, like, I don't think he would he would like this because that's just not his humor. And there's nothing you can do to fix that. But, you know, I think he might like Hot Fuzz. I feel like, but so do I. Like I said, I feel like the humor in Hot Fuzz is a little different than the other two. You are painting a picture of this man, by the way. Just not a bad, <laughs> not a bad picture, but you, you are painting a picture. I, I'm, I'm knowing him a little more now. <laughs> did he, did he play football in high school? No, he's Hispanic, so soccer. I, oh, you know what? Fair. Close, <laughs> close enough. So he did play football. Uh, yes, that's, yes. That's yes. what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'm logging but, off. But yeah, but I think there's definitely people who are going to have different types of humor, and British humor doesn't work for everyone. And not that I think that this is like, like, sorry, Monty Python. Uh, I don't think I can get into from what I've seen. What I know is considered hilarious. But everything I've seen, I'm just like, this is not funny. <laughs> I will say this. As far as British comedy goes, the Cornetto trilogy is probably the more American. Yeah, I'd say it's yeah. not quite it's that not, British. It's, it's not Faulty Towers. It's, <laughs> yeah. not the, it's not Black Adder. It's not, it's not super dry. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Edgar Wright, I mean, he's known for his visual comedy, too. So, which I think that's something that I appreciate a lot. And he uses that through his framing, through his, his pans. Um, what's on the screen um, 
and what's coming into the screen. So yeah, his, his visual comedy, I think, is something that's that's really fun to watch. But I do think there is a slightly different comedy in all three movies. Shaun of the Dead Alone has an awesome visual gag that you they hit you with like four times in the first scene. So it, yeah, you're you're right. His visual comedy is is fantastic. So who I would recommend this to? I would recommend this to both general audience and cinephiles. But when it comes to must see, I would say that Shaun of the Dead is the must see of this trilogy. But the trilogy as a whole is a must see, which is why. No, I agreed to, I don't want to say I agreed to do this episode. It's not like you were holding it over me. But when you brought it up and I thought about it, I was like, is it really a must? And then I, from what I knew about it, I was like, I'm pretty sure Shaun of the Dead is a must-see. I know that for sure. And it seems like Cornetto Trilogy is a must-see. And watching all of them, especially so closely together, together, I can say that, yes, it is. Shaun of the Dead itself is a must-see, while the trilogy itself is a must-see. And the reason I say that is because, honestly, everything that makes it a must-see, like everything that is original and innovative and clever and tight, is all portrayed and depicted in um, in Shaun of the Dead. And you see it again in Hot Fuzz and The World's End, but that's what it is. You're seeing it again. You may be seeing it in a different light, but you are seeing it again. But that's why I'll say the trilogy as a whole is a must-see. You have, for one, it's not easy making three good films. And then being able to keep the same tone and theme throughout them while they're not even actually connected to each other and not actual direct sequels is an amazing feat. And then also just looking at all three films when it comes down to if you're trying to learn how to write or you're trying to appreciate parodies or spoofs or homages or love letters... In any way, this is a great example of it, and this is a great example of how to do it three times over with with multiple genres. So this trilogy in itself is a feat. When you separate it, though, I'll say Shaun of the Dead is, yeah, that's that one stands on its own rather than the others. But I think both general audience and cinephiles are going to like this. I agree this is the more American or the more accessible humor of, of, the, of the UK. Yeah, Mighty Python is... Yeah, I don't know. You're either going to get it or you don't get it. or It's either for you or it's not for you. I don't want to say you don't get it. It's either for you or it's not for you. Uh, so I think, and like like I said, or like they said, if you take the comedy out of these movies, you still have a good movie. So even if someone doesn't laugh the whole time, they're going to still have a good time with this story and with this plot. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, my, my bringing up my diploma is just like everybody has different senses of humor. So there's going to be different things in it. And maybe not everything's going to work than for others. you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think it's time we go ahead and move into our classified section of our podcast. So moving forward, we will be talking some spoilers. So if you haven't watched these movies yet, uh, go turn off this podcast, watch the movies, and then come back. We're going to be talking, like I said, a little bit more of our opinions with spoilers. We're also going to be talking about why it was significant for its time. Uh Wondering if it does hold up, or we think it will hold up in the future. And we'll also be talking about our overall rating and our final ranking for these films. So let's go ahead and get into that classified section now. So I know you guys were, were holding back some thoughts because uh, you wanted to, to keep spoiler free. So now's the time to, to let loose. <laughs> so um, I think now's a good time to, to bring up some of the things I was saying where... 
everything that you see in these movies um, is connected to something else. So, um, for example, if you're going through World's End, um, the movie starts with the scene of the way they did the the original pub crawl back when they were kids um, and how they didn't finish it. And then you'll see later on in that movie, every single one of those shots is recreated and every single one of those things they do is done again. And then if you go through the lists of the names of the pub, it will tell you what's going to happen in that movie. Um, Every single one of those names of the pub is a plot point in the movie. Um, And some some of them are a little bit more on the nose than the others. Like at the hole in the wall, the guy literally drives his car through the wall of the pub. There's a literal hole in the wall. And some of them are a little bit more uh, subtle, um, like the two-headed dog. There are like three different ways you could take that, and it works with the movie. Of course, the 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 twins are probably the most obvious one, but in that case, Simon and Nick's characters could also be the two-headed dog because that's the point where Nick really reasserts himself into the role as the loyal best friend, and they become once again the two-headed dog. Or Simon's character himself could be the two-headed dog, depending on how you look at it. Um. And that's just one example. I mean, like, the whole thing is all of these movies do that flawlessly um, throughout the entire film. Yeah, that's a good observation. I'll definitely have to to look for that if I do go back and rewatch this. Yeah, I knew the pubs played a... I knew that the pubs' names were referencing plot points or something that was going on in the movie. Because I remember reading about that after the first time I watched it, but I forgot what they all meant. And it wasn't until... At first, I thought the two-headed dog was a Invasion of the Body Snatchers reference. And then when I started thinking about it, a head and the mermaids, I was like, oh, wait, the mermaids, the siren songs, the sinking of the ship, got it. Uh, same with Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, they go ahead and they explain a lot of plot points as well. They said that, hey, in the morning, we're going to go get ahead and get a Bloody Mary. What do they do in the morning? They find a woman out in their yard named Mary, who they have to go ahead and kill, thus becoming bloody. They said they're going to end the night with shots at the Winchester. What do they do? They're shooting zombies at the Winchester at the end of it. Uh, I think the boldest one is, and I, I missed it, was Hot Fuzz. At the beginning of Hot Fuzz, they actually tell you who the who one of the killers are. Because the chief inspector, when talking to Simon in the beginning from the city, Simon says, you can't just make people disappear. And his chief inspector tells him, yes, I can. I'm the chief inspector. And then he goes to the village and find out that the chief inspector is actually making people disappear. And it's pretty cool because, you know, Edgar Wright does a lot of showing and not telling. Does that very well. But at the same time, he can tell you something and you not realize it at the moment as well. It's fascinating how he can do both. Yeah, I think my favorite moment of that was in Shaun of the Dead when Nick is getting in a fight with the the other roommate, Pete. And he says, I think he said, next time I see him, he's dead. And then literally the next time he sees him, he's dead. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, there was even like some things they don't even say. They just put them there. For instance, when in Hot Fuzz, when Simon Pegg falls down the hole, and, you know, he, he sees the gypsies and everything, and they're telling him, like, hey, the gypsies, the dogma, you see them all dead. But then he goes past the children 
And you notice that those children are the ones that he ar- arrested and they said they just deserts, but they don't explain why they made them disappear. And you think, oh yeah, because he booked them, because he put them in a criminal record, they now have to make them disappear from that village or else it's going to look bad because now they have all these kids getting arrested for underage drinking and that's going to make the papers. And some of it's not as as blatant, like uh, back to uh, the world's end. Every one of the pubs is numbered um, and they're numbered in different ways. Like uh, you'll see it signs like the the first post. There's a buy one, get one free sign um, at the, the fifth pub, um, the one they spend the least amount of time at. Um, Simon uh, holds up five fingers and is like, you know, five pints, please, and pays with a five pound note. So they they throw in little tiny Easter eggs. And that's what I mean by like nothing is wasted. Like every piece of the scenery is a reference to something else that's happening in the movie. Every line of dialogue is a reference to something that happened in the movie. And like things even happen to the beat of music or like the, the music will even tell you what's going on in a scene or the lyrics of a song. Colors too. I'm always a fan of colors when they sneak them in film or it's the, the theme of the film. So they did the colors and the wardrobe with this film as well. Again, not wasting anything. The two that are abducted and replaced are dressed in blue, much like the robot aliens, the blanks. And then the, uh, what is it? The other ones are wearing red. Oh, wait. The Rosamund Pike and the love interests are both wearing red, showing that they're going to be romantically involved later. Sorry, random tidbit. Speaking of color, another thing that influenced the, the Three Flavors title is also the Three Colors trilogy. Yeah, as we kept saying it, I was thinking, is that a reference to Three Colors? And I was thinking was. also, I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm the only one that has seen the Three Colors. I know, I still need to watch them. Yeah. Well, it's on our must uh must see. I think that's another one where it's going to be the complete trilogy. So in Shaun of the Dead, after they're at the Winchester, Sean has to kill his own mother because no one else will step up and do it. And Barbara's death scene in general, like I have, you never expect to feel that hard when you go in for a comedy. Um, and I think they put in a lot of work to make the death scene. They earn it. Um, the characters in general in Shaun of the Dead, they all have full character development. They're all three-dimensional characters. You can name three character traits for every character in Shaun of the Dead. Whereas uh, you, you talked about Michael Bay, I mean, making an action film. Tell me three things about uh, Sam Witwicky's mom, Judith Witwicky. You, you, you can't because they don't flesh out those characters in action films. But Edgar Wright does... And you see you they don't have to tell you what Sean's relationship is like with his mom. You know it. You can see that Barbara is kind of fed up with the way Sean is living his life, but still loves her son. Um, She's been in this relationship with uh, his stepdad for quite a while and doesn't like the fact that they don't get along because she knows how hard he's trying to get along with along with Sean. And they even have their moment where they get to address that, you know, and then, you know, when they lose Barbara, you can feel that because they've built up this character and you as a viewer can feel how Sean feels in that moment where he has to kill his own mom. 
Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I think for me personally, the reconciliation with the stepdad was a little bit more heartwarming for me and less jarring, like I said earlier. I think that once we hit that point, I see what you mean about it being heartwarming or, or and sad and emotional. But for me, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, this is the direction we're taking the film now. All right. <laughs> so I was kind of <laughs> bummed out by it. Like, not because, because I just didn't, I didn't like the direction that the film was going. Like I said, I think all of these films flounder towards the end for me a little bit um in its conclusion and i don't maybe it also is just because i'm not usually a super big action fan with with uh exceptions because i do obviously we've watched action movies that i've really enjoyed but uh i think that for me um Towards the end of these movies, they definitely became more action films. All three of them, there was more action involved as it goes on. It got more serious, like you said, at this moment. And I think that was the turning point in Shaun of the Dead where I was just like, okay, I'm kind of checking out now. Or I'm just, you know, evil, heartless person. <laughs> <laughs> well, also kind of unrelated. I also think it's neat that Shaun of the Dead has a literal Chekhov's gun in in the yeah, movie that and was cool. <laughs> not many not many movies have literal Chekhov's guns in the in the movie in anymore or it, I, I I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like that. The mother to me though, and I wonder if they were kind of playing it to the Barbara character from Night of the Living Dead, but she was pretty daft. Like there was just yeah. I was like what what are you doing? But again, I was asking myself the same questions while watching the original Barbara. I think she's a little bit better than the original Barbara. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Definitely. She didn't have to get smacked. <laughs> and uh, another thing I, I brought up that I said I was going to hold back until we got to the spoiler section um, was the incompetence of the, the police force of Sanford. Um, I believe that most of the, the cops at Sanford were good cops. Um, the problem is that they didn't actually have to do any police work because the Neighborhood Watch Association, NWA, I love Edgar Wright, um, the Neighborhood Watch Association was doing most of the work for the police. Like, the police didn't have any work to do. So it's not that they were incompetent, it's that they were out of practice. And then you have Nick's character, who never got to be properly trained because there was no work for him to do. And the moment he gets, um, you know, under the wing of simon's character you know he immediately starts listening he immediately starts picking up on things he immediately changes his vernacular and the way he talks about doing things and he becomes a good police officer even though he is portrayed as kind of like the bumbling idiot at the beginning he wasn't a bumbling idiot he was never trained and the moment somebody's there to train him he's you know a great cop i i think that them being quote-unquote bad cops is part of the conspiracy because I think the police force was putting people that they felt were inept into those positions so that the Neighborhood Watch Association could do the good work and uh, keep the city clean and everything like that, while at the same time staying under the nose of a inept police force. And I think they thought that Sean... You're Sean. <laughs> As I said, just say Simon Pegg. <laughs> so, Sean of the Fuzz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think they felt that Simon's, Simon Pegg's character was inept as well, but in his own way, didn't expect him to be this. So it kind of worked against them in that way. And and I think that that's all it was, is these, this police force was there, uninspired, unmotivated, 
and they got the literal embodiment of inspiration and motivation put into their police force and they had no choice but to adapt and it worked against the the uh, neighborhood watch association see with me i can see all that with most of the cops especially the one that was asking simon like hey what do i what am i supposed to do right now like <laughs> he's like cordon off the area calling the fire let them do their thing and he's like all right got it the the female officer she was she was like trying to help out. She was trying to keep up the spirits. She was trying to work. She just didn't know where to be placed. However, where it broke for me is the two detectives, the two Andes, because to me, they were so adamant about not doing their job. It, I did not find it believable during their turning point when they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll definitely help you out now that we see this conspiracy and go forth. It's like, no, every time that there was ever a murder, it's not like they didn't have any kind of open-mindedness. Like, they were completely shut off, stubborn, like, no, it was an accident, and then they would continually make fun of them. And that's where I felt that repetition. I was like, all right, we got the crime. Here comes the two Andes. They're going to rip on them for a couple minutes, and we're just going to go back. So when everybody switched, I'm like, why did these two people who hadn't wanna, who didn't want to work the whole time, who just they're the ones that really turned a blind eye to everything. The other ones just didn't know what to do, but they looked at it as like, yeah, she tripped on her shears. You don't need to be a detective, a competent detective (laughs) to know that, Hey, something is wrong with that. Now, granted, I get it. You don't know what you're supposed to do when there's an actual murder, but these guys, again, they were adamant about, no, I'm turning a blind eye to this. So their, their turning point didn't make any sense to me. I could get that. I, I, I also was frustrated with the Andes, but also <laughs> I think the Andes is, is one of the funniest joke in the movies. Uh, one of the, the greatest shots in cinema history when they they are like leaving the frame and then come back in and then leave the frame again. That was hilarious. That's... That was another visual gag I love. <laughs> hilarious. I will use that gift for my entire life. <laughs> I love, too, that just off screen, they would throw a trash can at somebody or a rubbish bin, whatever they call it. <laughs> a rubbish bin. A rubbish bin. <laughs> you said you wanted to wait uh, before talking about the style. Was that during the spoilers or did you want to talk about that during Does It Hold Up? When were you wanting to speak about that? Like the directing style? Yeah. Oh, I, st- said, I said you could style. talk about that before. <laughs> you you missed it, your moment. Now, go ahead. God dang it, man. It's my moment. <laughs> <laughs> nah, go uh, ahead. I'm, try- I'm trying to see how I can fit it in now. <laughs> right. Just like this. And go. The- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, so I said that like, the style I felt like was kind of going a bit over the line and hot fuzz a lot with that editing. The fight scenes, again, didn't really feel tight for me. They were just uh, a lot of back and forth punching. There was a time where Simon got on top of somebody and he got thrown off, and then he got back on him the same way. It just, and then you're cutting back and forth, but the scenes weren't themselves, they weren't changing. We were just looking at them doing the same thing again. So I felt like they were doing a lot of those crash zooms just to do them. But I would say that when it comes to World's End, and we see in Scott Pilgrim, and seeing One Up himself, and last night uh, in Soho, he shows that his style isn't going to get the better of him, which is why I would say that he's probably the best style, stylistic 
director. And to compare that, you have other directors such as uh, Michael Bay. No, yeah, Michael Bay is, when we talk about great directors, usually Michael Bay is not really brought up. But got to show respect to Michael Bay for two reasons. One of them being that... Guy knows his audience. What's that? The guy knows his audience. The, the guy knows his audience, and his audience knows him. He has his style. He has his 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 shots, his tilted camera shots. He has that that filter that he loves to put on, that, that yellow overlay. He has his American flag waving in the air. But sometimes that can just kind of take over and take you out of the movie and take over the movie. Then you have Quentin Tarantino, who I believe his last two films, he became way over style or substance, and his stories fell apart, and they just seem like just kind of trying to stitch together his style. Uh, the other one is someone who I loved for a while was Wes Anderson, but I feel like his style now is just, this is just a Wes Anderson film, but I feel like, uh, and then you have another British director who is, is he, he hasn't gotten to that point, but he does have a style of his own, and that's Matthew Vaughn, uh, but he's, I don't know, I feel like he hasn't even been given the chance really to become that big, though he did work on The Kingsman, as well, he directed The Kingsman. You can see his hyper-violence and his fighting in there is done very well. Uh, but I think Edgar Wright, he's probably the most humble. He knows when to take himself back. Him and his his editor in crime, Chris uh, Dickens, who probably doesn't get enough credit as he should as well. So I would say, like, yeah, as far as style goes, he may not be my favorite director, but he's one of, them, like, one of the biggest directors I respect just for being able to hold back. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, too, that he, you know, doesn't limit himself at all. Last Night in Soho was his attempt at a more horror movie um, because he wanted to do something different. And in doing that, he had to change his style up a little bit. Like you said, it's still an Edgar Wright movie. The things that he's good at is still there, but it is different than what you would see in the Cornetto trilogy for sure. Yeah, I always like when directors tackle different Different genres as well. That's why I love Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, he's been, he, he doesn't need to make movies anymore. He's still out there making movies and he can do whatever he likes. He can do the same old thing. Everybody's going to love what he does. And he went out last year and made a great musical. I wish he would dip his toe in animation again and make a second Tintin. <laughs> I never saw Tintin. Was that actually good? Yeah, it was. It was really good. But I want a sequel. <laughs> I will also say sequels? I will also say of the action in Hot Fuzz. I, I think you're right. I think um it's it's not as great as it could be. I still think it's good. I still enjoyed it. I think it also speaks to what I've already said about the budget and the time. I think with the larger budget and more time to shoot it, I think it could have been better. I think what he did with what he had was pretty good. But I also would like to point out that it's also a good cop movie in that even when they're getting shot at and having deadly force placed against them, the cops don't kill anybody in that movie. Um, in the shootouts, in all that action, there there are no fatalities from the police side, which I think is necessary to show in a more in a better police movie. I think it, it kind of goes with showing the paperwork and showing it. It showed it can be exciting to be a cop and still do it the right way without being this gangster cowboy who just like shoots the bad guys and just takes them as guilty. And we don't need evidence. We don't need to do any of this stuff. We just are going to go out there and take care of the bad guys ourselves. They go out there and they make the arrest. They don't kill anybody. I would, there's both a good side and a bad side 
first, I'm going to bring up the fact that they shot at some kids that were throwing frozen peas at them. <laughs> they didn't Granted, kill them. <laughs> first off, when did they ever do weapons training? Second, so you know their aim wasn't that great. So a straight bullet could have just bounced off anything. Looking at a movie that addresses actual police work versus being, you know, um, maybe cops using excessive force or a little bit too much. And I'm not saying that, like, what the cops and Hot Fuzz did is the, is the right answer. But I mean, like, that's definitely more relevant um, today or even like, you know, 2017 on than it was in 2007. Not to mention your your main villain literally says the line make Stanford great again, um, mm-hmm. which that was in 2007. Obviously, they weren't making a reference, but, you know, it applies. But like I said, I, I, won't, I won't go too much into it. But like, you know, the, those are the kind of things that that can come out of movies much later after they were really than after they were released. Yeah, I definitely think that there is a large conversation about what qualifies as propaganda kind of talked about military propaganda our last episode so there's always you know it's an interesting time because you're looking back at these movies and you kind of wonder have to wonder what message they're, they're really giving if is it something that is is positive is it something that maybe there's a twist that you're not unsure of and i think there is a lot of political conversations about that and, and how you're going to view these films but i think also just in britain in general their use of firearms is not like the US. So it's going to be a different conversation in Britain. I mean, obviously they had firearms in in the movie, but just their idea of gun ownership and, and gun laws and stuff is going to be different than the US. So there might be a little bit more conversation there from a British point of view than an American point of view. But but yeah, it's he all said, political. <laughs> <laughs> he said he didn't pick up a weapon for two years. What Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I we had to do weapons training quarterly, and had to draw every day, and there wasn't a choice. He was like, "Yeah, you know, I don't choose it. There's no choice. I mean, even if there was a choice, we would all choose to take it, taking that chance. But yeah, the whole firearm situation is totally different between America and Britain, both on police side and civilian side. But again, it's all politics. But again, it, it, it's interesting that you say you look back at these movies and they become more social relevant. And again, this is a, a Shaun of the Dead referencing. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead wasn't supposed to be a social commentary, but social commentary can be picked from it because of today's climate or the climate uh, back then during that time later on. Absolutely. I think it 100% was a social commentary from the beginning. No. Uh, I mean, Brian, you can take this conversation over. I know that this is your soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to go on the whole soapbox. But Night of the Living Dead, no, there was no social commentary George Romero said, hey, when we made the film, we didn't write it for any social commentary. Even the the actor being black, they just casted him because they were told that he was a good actor by one of the people who worked on the cast and crew. They said, hey, you should check this guy out. He's actually a really good actor. and He's actually very intelligent. He was working on multiple degrees at the time. So they saw him and he performed and they loved him and they gave him the role. They did not change any of the writing for him. They gave him the exact same writing they were about to give the white actor. So there was absolutely no social commentary in that wasn't there. Even, it just, that wasn't even the social commentary that I thought that they had put in there. Him being the actor was, just like you said, the social commentary was on um, the rampant consumerism at the time in America. 
the zombies. That that came later. That was Dawn of the Dead. Well, that's what I was referencing. I mean, you might have been talking about oh. Night of the Living Dead, but I was saying Shaun of the Dead is obviously a reference to oh, Dawn God. of the Dead. So I was thinking Dawn of the Dead, you know, being... From the, from the way I understood it, Dawn of the Dead was just more um, overt about it. But I could be wrong. But Caitlin wants us to say this social commentary, so... Huh? No, I think it's a, a good leeway into <laughs> it about uh, why it was significant for this time. And, and I think what I'm holding back is something that I wrote in my notes under this section. So. Oh, so you just wanted your time to no, shine. No, 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 no. I, I think it, it fits under this category. So go for go it. Go for it. No, no, you got your notes. I'll, I'll let you have it, Kayla. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This probably is like on your nose with a circle and a star next to it. <laughs> my time to shine. No, but we were talking about you know, the social commentary in uh, Night of the Living Dead, and if you want to talk about that, we can talk about how the Vietnam War was uh, an influence for that. And um, typically, when you have zombie movies, there is a reference to some kind of tragedy or event that is more sinister. Um, And for Shaun of the Dead and for the zombie movies that were coming out at this time, uh, a lot of film critics were comparing it to or saying it was part of the post-9-11 consciousness. Is that what you're going to say, Brian? Exactly. And then I was going to bring it back to this one actually went out and wanted to make that social commentary. And it was a bit more on the nose than Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, actually, I kind of missed the the commentary. Uh, but that could also just be I just overlooked it. And, w- and actually, I really liked that social commentary that it had, which is why I'm interested to rewatch the film. And correction to what I said, Night of the Living Dead didn't have any racial commentary. Right. It may have had a uh, social commentary to the Vietnam War. I believe it, it did have social commentary to the Vietnam War. And this idea that man is the monster, mm-hmm. you know, you take a zombie that was human and then you turned it into the monster, uh, that really speaks to this idea of war, of, of human tragedy. So you said that this came out before the remake of Dawn of the Dead, just to kind of go into where zombie movies were at. I think it was two weeks before the 2004 we did. It was either two weeks before or two weeks after that it was released in the U.S. Uh, before yeah, the remake. And I don't think it was intentional. Yeah, no, it definitely was intentional. I know that Edgar Wright had like some worries about it, about how well it would do, because that was also coming out. But I mm-hmm. do think that there was a resurgence of the zombie films now, and that's why that they kind of said that it was part of that post 9-11 thinking but it's crazy how 9-11 like just affected everything just from entertainment to the media that was being put out i mean there were movies and shows that didn't want to release episodes because they felt like they weren't culturally um, appropriate at the time i mean actually the one of the craziest stories out there not one of the crazy stories one of the craziest things to get halted was the revealing of the um, the molestation conspiracy going in going on within the Catholic Church, like globally? Uh, and I learned that watching the movie Spotlight, which is a great movie, I recommend anybody to watch it. But they had the story, they had the evidence saying, "Hey, there's mass molestation going on within the Catholic Church at all these places, and this is how they're covering it up." And they brought it to the editor, and they said look at the news and they're like 9-11 just happened like the american morale global morale is down we can't come up on top of that 
and then squash their religion at the same time. It def it definitely had a huge effect. It, it definitely squashed things like that. I I remember. I mean, you know, I remember where I was when it happened. But uh, but you know, the weeks following, you you heard about all these movies that were supposed to come out, all these shows that were supposed to come out that you know either got delayed or just completely just nixed because. I mean, I think there was one, what was it? There was a movie that got completely canceled because there was like an exploding building in it. And they were just like, nope, we're not, we're not releasing it. It's like, it's not even, it wasn't even like a skyscraper. It's like, okay. So, so yeah. Um, hmm. And I could totally see, and again, like looking at like Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that with everything that was going on at the time, like you were saying, the Vietnam War. There was a lot of stuff going on at the time of uh, the Night of Living Dead. And it, it, if it wasn't on purpose, those zombies definitely embodied the um, everything happening all at once and closing in on you. And you can see that in Shaun of the Dead, too. You know, with everything that was going on, because it was nuts. It was nuts when all that stuff was going on. And, you know, and it's not so much like that anymore, but, you know, it was it was really, really bad, but it kind of brought a lot of people together, which, you know, is kind of what Shaun of the Dead is, you know, really bad. It brought people together. You know, some people died, but, you know, <sighs> but yeah. And Shaun of the Dead in general is about a guy like who has stagnated in his life and doesn't want to move forward. Like it's it's not that he can't move forward or stuck moving forward. Like in his life, he just has reached a certain point where he has given as much effort as he wants to give and doesn't want to give any more. Um, and then tragedy happens and he moves forward with his life. I mean, like it kind of forces him to move forward you can't go back to that old life that you had after you've been through this tragedy um but you know i mean same thing some other significance that this had was for the horror genre in that again if you want to call this a parody a spoof a horror comedy what have you horror comedies really hadn't been done like this just yet again you can take the comedy away from this and it just plays like a straight horror film because before this, in horror comedy, really the like, the one, and it's still kind of known as the horror comedy, is the Evil Dead series. By this point, you had Evil Dead 2 and The Army of Darkness, which definitely blended those two, but there was a bit of an imbalance with it. And again, like you're talking about with Edgar Wright and the medium, here's that medium for horror comedy. Also, I just noticed that other countries like horror comedy more than America, or at least they distribute more. So now thinking about it, there's been, like, I've seen a lot more from from across the seas. What we do in the shadows. Yeah. I think that's a big indication of uh, American cinema taking itself way too seriously. Yeah, like, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, again, you know, go back to go back to the fantasy, the fantasy conversation that we were talking about. You know, how long did it take for fantasy to even be recognized in quote unquote mainstream cinema? Because mm -hmm. they thought it was kid stuff. They thought it was a joke. It's, yeah, okay, you take yourself way too seriously. I, yep, exactly. Get that, get that nerd stuff away from my award shows. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think kindly of the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs>
another thing that I saw is talking about the significance for its time. I, I did read an article from Nerdist that was talking about Hot Fuzz, and I think this can, can apply to The World's End, too. It, it talked about the theme of erasure as far as the LGBT community, that the person who wrote the article connected to these because you have a town and you have an alien race who wants to make this perfect utopia lifestyle and anything that doesn't fit into that sort of perfection goes away. And then coupled with kind of the, the we call it the bromance, which you said you can be platonic, but I think you can in some ways also view that as romantic, I think, in some points. I think that there is potential there, especially in Hot Fuzz. And it is, I think it's kind of somewhat played as a joke in Hot Fuzz, but I think that's also a valid way to look at it. And I, I definitely didn't see it from that perspective when I first watched it, but when I was reading this article, there were some valid points about that. I will say that with so little real representation in uh, mainstream media, um, you kind of have to latch on to things like that. You know, mm-hmm. when when you when you are like you know, let's just say you are a man who is wanting some kind of represent representation of man and uh, male male relationship. You know, you see something like that, and it's like you know what? That's a healthy relationship. You know, they obviously love each other. That is the relationship that I want. Maybe with some sex. <laughs> you know, and you, and you kind of got to, and we we actually not trying to plug our uh, podcast or anything, but we did do a whole uh, um, uh, episode on representation in in media and stuff like that. Um, I was on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, fi- I figured it'd be the good time to drop it. So, anyways, yeah. Um, so but yeah, it's it's it, you know it's it's all about um, when it's not there, you latch on to what's not there with what you can and um i can definitely see that i can definitely see like maybe some young gay man who is looking to have some kind of example of a nice fun healthy relationship seeing that and be like those two are gay and i love it and i will hold them to a to this standard so yeah i totally get it i would say a better movie though would be top gun yeah, but, we talked about that a little bit. Yes, but it's not one of these three movies. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the romance here, it's, it's, it's very, I never felt anything else with it. It just felt platonic. And I mean, when you say bromance, of course, is combining the words bro and romance. And romance is, is having intimacy. Intimacy is just defined as familiarity and closeness. So it can be with friends. Now, granted, I'm not going to, hit up my my friend and be like hey uh tomorrow night you want to get intimate grab a couple of drinks like that's of course words have you know kind of the meaning to it but the bromance here it's 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 cool to see a bromance like this like it feels like a closer bromance it doesn't feel super macho man or masculine but then again it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel hidden like there's some kind of hidden affection there like top gun yeah, I think uh, Baron and I have talked about this before, about how just in our culture in general, um, we can't accept that two men can love each other and it not be, you know, romantic and it not be, you know, gay. For, for um, example, I think for for example, uh, Frodo and Sam from Lord of the Rings. Right. Like everybody says that, you know, Frodo and Sam are 
gay for each other and they're not they just really love each other in a in a very platonic way i mean now if you are looking for representation you could see it there um and i think it, in this trilogy is we also have a good example of that love being there between two men and it not being romantic and i think we need to see more of that in movies um shows in general in order to make it more acceptable in our culture in general i would love to be able to hug my male friends hang out with my male friends um and it not be viewed as you know oh those guys are doing something behind closed doors not to say that like i don't want to be viewed as gay i don't care um it's more that's just it's just not I, what it is i i see what you're saying you just like i would want my relationship with somebody to be viewed as what it is right so like if i'm if i have a really close friendship with somebody i want you to view that as a friendship and nothing more if i am spadoinkling some dude in the you know confines of my own home then i want you to view that as such all right just saying exactly i think it kind of also just comes back to not that this is doing that but i think there is obviously a real problem with queer baiting in yes, some media yeah. and then there's also on the other hand there's also a problem with a large group of women who tend to ship characters to our friends like the steve bucky fandom for example in the mcu i feel like there's no real romantic connection but then they kind of say that oh this is queer baiting and then i think there's a subject subsection of women that fetishize obviously male relationships and then i think that kind of gets projected onto certain characters um so i think there are a lot of, of conversations that that come when you have these friendships romances that are uh depicting kind of romantic relationships i don't think that this film did either of those though i think that it was just a genuine relationship i think you can view it romantically or you can view it platonically. I think either way, I don't think it is wrong, but I don't think this movie was trying any kind of agenda, and I don't think that people who might read it romantically would have any kind of agenda. I think there's enough context in there. Yeah, I agree. You know, you know honestly, I, I'm fine. You can ship any fictional character you want. It's when you start fic uh, shipping real people is when I start mm -hmm. to get skeeved out. It's just, yeah. just gross. Or even, or even projecting, like you know, if you if there is a real person and they're like, you know, and he's obviously he's come out and said he's straight, he's you know with a woman, and they're like, no, 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 he's really gay. It's like, come on. Yeah. Well, also, I would say that in this trilogy, at the world's end, the world's end. I mean, like at the movie, like the movie's plot. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, the world's end. They say I love you to each other. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it feels just like that. It's just romance. And I think also now with the newer generations, I mean, I know with my generations, like I can say I love you to my, you know, to my my friends that are, are males and my friends that are, even to my friends that are females that I don't feel that type of affection for. But it's that love, like, it's like that family love. And I have no, we have no problem, you know, expressing that. Granted, I'm not going to lie and say like, I'm completely open to it. I do add a, you know, I do sometimes say ya yeah, instead of bro. So love you or you know, I'll put a bro or a man at it at the end, like, love you too, man, or love you, bro. No, just keep it, keep it masculine. But of course, that's how I grew up. And I think uh, there's actually 
something that a lot of people miss and I don't I don't know how they miss it when it comes to the world's end when it comes to the relationship between uh some of the characters and that all their names are uh, royal in a way um you've got mm-hmm. Gary King Andy Knightley uh Oliver Chamberlain uh Stephen Prince and Peter Page and each one of them actually take on the role of their name and if you think about Gary King and Andy Knightley, that knight is loyal to his king um, and would do anything for him. Um, and that, I think, really sums up the relationship between the two characters. He also took down people like a knight. It was unstoppable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. When he picked up those two bar stools. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to watch that movie again. Damn it. Why is... <laughs> so it's hard because this is a movie that's newer to talk about if it holds up um i think you can talk about a little bit with Shaun of the dead you can kind of talk about if it holds up or not um i know that they had a covid psa recently where they brought those characters back and did a psa for covid where they got to play in those characters um but then as you got late later on like world's end it it's hard to tell it's it's weird to ask, does it hold up now? But so would I mean, you? It's, it's nine years old. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't think it came it was out in twenty thirteen. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what COVID does to us, right? We lost <laughs> like four years. That's true. Like we're like, oh, it's it's not a nine year old movie. It's like a five year old movie. No, <laughs> it's it's a nine year old movie. Um, it'll be ten next year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I guess you can ask that. Although, like, usually on our podcast, we're talking about movies that are like from the '60s and stuff. Sometimes we do talk sure. about newer movies, and sometimes we talk about older movies. So I guess it's it's kind of a, a dual question. One, do you think it holds up now? And two, do you think it'll hold up ten years from now? I don't see anything in these movies that are going to be like dated, right? Um, the The only thing I can think of it being dated is in Shaun of the Dead. They use a flip phone. Um, but I mean, like, it's not like a plot point or anything, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just, it's a thing that exists. I mean, like at that point, 20 years from now, it'll be just considered a period piece. Right, yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly what I was about to know, say. <laughs> it's, but I don't, I think everything in the movies is people, are things that people will be able to relate to until the end of time, um, until the world's end. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the movies are funny, and like I said, the humor is not—it's not punching down on buddy and anybody. It's not topical humor. It's just, you know, funny. Um, and I—I I, I don't think we're ever gonna lose that. Um, I think it, with the movies being about the relationship between friends and all of these universal concepts, I don't see any of it going out of style. So I think it'll hold up as long as it needs to. I will say that there is one slur in Shaun of the Dead that did throw me back. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, yes, this is an older movie. Okay. (laughs) I haven't seen it in a while, so I just must have completely missed it. Even being an older movie, that it's... Nothing's really changed. But for some reason, I think it's because it's not so offensive because it fits with that character and you're not made to root for that character. And, and when I'm he says it, he just it throws now. it away. Yeah. Yeah. It's when he pulled, uh, it's when Nick Frost pulls up in the car and everybody comes outside and he's like, what up, niggas? Oh, and yeah. 
Yeah, I. It's like I want to. You know what? Yeah, that did take me back. That does very much but, date the movie the, because there was a very there was a very small point in time in our culture where you had a bunch of white guys who were like oh they say it in rap lyrics and like i don't mean it as a slur i mean it the same way that they why can't i say it and like they were yeah that does date i'll the tell movie. you though i hate to say it but boy that really summed up the character though didn't it it's, yep. it's like that that's the thing that's why i think i wasn't that offended is because it fit for the, like if i was to imagine anybody to say that pulling up it would be that guy <laughs> right there and i was like there's just there's just like more you, reason you can show that clip and you know exactly who that person is yep. mm-hmm. that's what just I'm like, with that it, clip it did take me back it did take me back to that period of time where i think more people were liberal with that or at least those specific type of people because mm-hmm. it is a very specific type of people that you're like oh okay yes I would know exactly who you are now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not cool, but God, that's not surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like bringing up Tarantino again. I don't think it's like the casting crew, the writers using that as an excuse to use the N word. I think it just, it fits with the character. They're not using it to make fun of the word or to, um, or just to put it in their movie to be funny. It's like this, this is the type of tool that would say that I, when he man, rolls I up. will say that there is there is one scene in Pulp Fiction that just still, if I see it today, it's like, uh Yeah. So so much great dialogue, but if you can just take out about 48 of those N-words, we'd oh, be good. Oh, man. It's like, look, you could have just called that dead body storage, buddy. That's it. That's all you had to say. Yeah, it'll was, it was still be yep. great. It was completely unnecessary. God, yeah. But I think the Shaun of the Dead still holds up. Uh, I think Hot Fuzz is the one where I'll go, eh, because uh, I, I didn't mention this during my review. I wanted to save it for now. The action scene did not hold up for me watching it today. I remember I caught a little bit of it, but uh, you know, way back, and I thought I was like, oh, okay, that was pretty cool, and I was looking forward to it for this movie. Like I said, I was kind of you know, the the middle was dragging for me. I was like, all right, at least I got the big finale at the end, and. It didn't do it for me. For one thing, there are about two minutes, like, and I mean like a hard two minutes. I mean like staring at the toaster two minutes of them just shooting and hitting nothing. Just shooting back and forth and people just throwing things back and forth at each other until finally they're, they look at their watch and they're like, all right, it's about time somebody gets incapacitated. <laughs> and then bam, it happens. Uh, like I said, the fighting already, the fighting wasn't great in that. It just, it was very, it was very uh, generic fighting. It was a very generic fight well, scene. I, I, at least they got to uh, out point break, point break. <laughs> like he, he, <laughs> laid, he laid on the ga- ground, fired his gun in the air and went R. And like it actually made sense that he laid on the ground, fired his gun in the air and went R. Like it's, it. They did do that. Uh, that was another foreshadowing that it did. When he was asking him all those questions, like mm-hmm. they hey, have you ever every single jumped one up of those in the things. air and fired two pistols? <laughs> have you ever been on a high speed car chase while shooting outside the window? Uh, and then I think the world's end. I think the world end holds up. I think the special effects that they used in it, even during its time, it has a certain look to it. It's it's not like they're going for realistic CGI. They are kind of going for that, like what they call them in the movie, that Legos, uh, the Lego look. So I th- I think that. That holds up just as well, and as far as the trilogy as a whole, yeah, it it holds up. I could see sitting somebody down and be like, hey, you know, if 
if I believe that they l- would like this type of humor and this type of writing and this, these type of visuals, I'll put on the whole trilogy with them and I will sit down and watch it because it, it will hold up in 10 years. It holds up now. I will say I sit down and watch this trilogy in every October. It's like my Halloween tradition and I'm not going to be stopping that anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my thing with Hot Fuzz that it might not hold up as much and I don't want to get too much into this and we talked about it before it's just for political reasons there might be people who who don't want to watch this movie and I think in recent years we've not seen as many buddy cop movies so that's one thing I would say maybe it won't hold up quite as much um but I think that the humor in it does hold up I think there are funny jokes in there that that are gonna hold up yeah I think I think that out of the three Hot Fuzz is probably probably the least one to hold up and i will say that's probably because the concept of buddy cop movies are so passe now and the movies that they're referencing were already the movies were dated that they were referencing then so i can only imagine now people watching this movie and seeing those movies they're referencing half the people watching it now will probably be like what is point break uh yeah i'll be honest i didn't get a single reference in hot fuzz (laughs) Not even Bad Boys 2? I mean, that was pretty obvious. (laughs) That was a little obvious. But I feel like I definitely understood more references in, in like, Shaun of the Dead. Whereas with with, uh, Hot Fuzz, that's just not my genre. That's not a genre that I've explored too much in. So for me, there is a little bit of a disconnect. But I don't think it it ruined anything in the movie. There wasn't anything that was like, I don't really get it. But then, like, when I go back and see all the references, I, 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 I didn't see those in the film. Yeah, I think all three of these, while they are obviously homages, love letters, references, parodies, whatever you want to call them to all these other movies, I don't think you have to see a single mm-hmm. one of those other movies in order to enjoy these movies. And that's why I don't like pa- calling them parodies as much, because I feel like in order to enjoy scary movie, I need to see the movies that scary movie is making fun of. Um, in order to enjoy these movies, I don't think you have to see any of the movies that they're referencing. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think I missed out on anything because of that. I also think that someone's thinking that parody is a bad word. <laughs> it's not a bad word. It's just I don't think it applies here. <laughs> Again, I, I would say Scary Movie is a spoof. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of like Airplane 2. Airplane is a parody, and sometimes it could be a spoof because some of those things do reference other movies, but I think you can enjoy airplane just as well without seeing anything yeah, I've else. never seen the movie that that movie is actually parroting which was airport um mm-hmm. I've never seen that I didn't even know that yeah, was it's, a thing. it's it's like a shot for shot remake of yeah. airport but just make it but comedy. that just proves that you don't have to watch the original movie to enjoy it and have it still be a parody I do I do I I think that they should remake hot fuzz and let Jordan Peele direct it that definitely seems like a Jordan Peele movie I would say Edgar Wright's writing is, well, I'm not going to say Jordan Peele's writing is is that tight because we we have a one-for-one right now, Us and Get Out. But I would say that Edgar Wright's writing is about as tight as Get Out is, especially with uh, with Shaun of the Dead. I would say that it's probably about the same level as as tight as Get Out. I won't say as as good, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's about as tight that in general this does hold up so i think we can go ahead and move on to uh, our overall rating and our our ranking of these films and i think um 
Let's start with the ranking first, and then we'll go ahead into our rating. So our rating system is just like an A to F type rating, so and you can also give it pluses or minuses too. And ranking is just, you're just gonna rank the order that you like it, three to one. As much as I think Hot Fuzz is the funniest of the three, I think it's gonna go at the bottom for my ranking. I think uh, The World's End is my favorite, just because of of memories attached to it and the fact that um, it started something with me with Edgar Wright films where like I had to comb every scene and every uh, frame in order to find everything that Edgar hid. And that that's just part of who I am now as someone who watches movies. So that's number one, Shaun of the Dead, number two, and uh, Hot Fuzz is number three. But I I love all of them. So... Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to agree with that. I mean, throughout the course of this podcast, I have decided that The World's End is probably my favorite one now. It was Shaun of the Dead, but I mean, I'll tell you, I I, I really can't wait for people to listen to this podcast because just the conversation with everybody here really made me reevaluate my feelings on all of these movies. And um, and yeah, I, I think that The World's End is going to be my favorite one of the three with uh, Shaun of the Dead in in a very close second and uh, Hot Fuzz in a very close third because, I mean, I, I do. I love all of them. Can I have two rankings? <laughs> so I think Hot Fuzz is the weakest, being number three. I think I've said enough about that one. Not that I don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's just the weakest link. Uh, then I would have to say The World's Edge which is a great movie. I disagree with what seems to be the hate that it gets. And then Shaun of the Dead as number one. Now I'm rating this as what is the best film. As far as my favorite and what I'll probably go and rewatch, it's it's probably going to be The World's End. I feel like I've seen everything in my two watches of Shaun of the Dead that I need to see. But The World's End is something that I can put on and be enjoyed about what's going on in the screen it's just it's a fun uh frantically paced movie or or not even frantically paced like a snowball uh rolling downhill pace with that movie said world's edge by the way <laughs> the world's god dang, what is the world's edge why is it i have no idea that sounds familiar. <laughs> well no it's edge. funny because you said the world you end. said the world's edge first then you said the world's end so it's like i think that you just had something in your head at that moment and you were like the world's edge it's like oh okay we all had a good laugh and then you were like the world's end it was like oh all right <laughs> it. it sounds familiar though for some reason the world's edge does sound familiar oh, it's gonna hit me in the middle oh of my yeah scene. definitely be sure to message us all yeah, yeah. we'll do I think everybody it's... wake up get on discord yeah let's go i think it's hard for me to rank them because there are things I like about them in different ways. So Shaun of the Dead has my, is my favorite stylistically. Um, Hot Fuzz has my favorite humor. And World's End has my favorite story. But I don't like the humor or the, you know, so but that's how it goes. That's how I enjoy these. So if I had to rank them. What you I, do. I, I do. <laughs> um, I think... Sorry, my computer's making noises. I think just based on my enjoyment, I would put 
World's End last, Shaun of the Dead. Wait, wait and hold then... up. Hold up. You're playing with your mic. I can hear it. Sorry. <laughs> I think just based on my enjoyment, I would put At World's End last, Shaun of the Dead, and then Hot Fuzz first. So I'm going to be a little bit different from everyone else. And, and I'll say that for your enjoyment is probably the most important ranking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just because I, I got the most laughs out of it. And like I said, they all kind of have the same negatives for me. So I think they're on par equally with the negatives that I had with them. But but for my enjoyment, Hot Fuzz just made me laugh the most. So that's what I got to go with. Yeah, no, that works. So let's go ahead and rank these movies. Give us some our letter grade and any final comments that we have about these films. Does anyone want to start? I, or I can start. Well, we should pl- explain the the letter grade system to him. Oh, I did. Did you guys um guys yeah. cool with the? She did, and I listen to the podcast regularly anyway. So I, I <laughs> okay, so you understand the S tier as well, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. I've been blanked out. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'll start. Um, I think for me, given Hot Fuzz is my favorite, I will give it an. I'm actually gonna okay. I'll give Hot Fuzz a B plus, but I'm going to give Shaun of the Dead an A minus because I can recognize that Shaun of the Dead stylistically and what it's a, that it's accomplished as a film and the first one, I think it is the better film. But like I said, Hot Fuzz, I enjoy the most. World's End, I'll give it a solid B, maybe B minus. I would say Shaun of the Dead, I will give a a solid A. Then Hot Fuzz, I would give a C plus, and World's End, I would give a solid B. Cool. I will say that, and this is going to sound weird considering what I said was my favorite. However, I will give I will give uh, Shaun of the Dead. Uh, yeah, I'll give that a good solid A. Um, there's just a everything about that movie I think is um, it des- it deserves that A. Um, and then Hot Fuzz, I will give that I'll give that a good C plus. Um you're, I mean it's getting up in there in, in the B range though. Um but I'll say I'll say say steep, uh, C plus. And then uh the world's end, I'm gonna go with a, a B plus. Um in terms of, you know, grading it, in terms of grading these movies, I do believe that the world's end was not Shaun of the Dead was a better movie than World's End, I believe, but it's still my favorite for like a lot of different reasons. So, I mean, I think I can agree with both you and Caitlin in that my ranking will not reflect the letter grades, whereas um, at the World's End gets a uh, A minus from me. Shaun of the Dead gets an A plus and Hot Fuzz gets a, a B but I will also say, and this is 100% the Edgar Wright fan, uh, not ob- objective at all uh, speaking right now, the trilogy as a whole hits S tier for me. I think it's greater than a sum of its parts. Um, like, it, of course, none of those movies, I think, on their standalone as an S. But I think if you sit down and watch them all together, that's where you you hit that sweet spot. And you hit that's that fair. S-tier. I think maybe we should have graded it as a trilogy. We've done everything else as an individual movie and as a trilogy. So, yeah. Good call, Rick. I would say for trilogy then B plus. Nice, nice. I think that averages out. 
I think I would do a solid B. Yeah, you know, I I will I will also say a a, a solid B plus a B plus. Um, but it's getting it's getting really close into that A tier though. Yeah, the the writing and the the visuals in it that's what gives it that plus for me. Almost an A. Yeah. Yep. I feel like also like knowing, like I said, Last Night in Soho is probably it, it's an S tier candidate for me. So. I think that just like comparing it to that, it kind of, it lowers it too, because I know that that mark so high for me. So I know what his potential outside of those films are as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty happy with it. I think that when you, when you watch them back to back, I think, like I said, it's greater than the sum of its parts because obviously these movies don't rely on inside jokes, like some sequels and some other trilogies might, but by the time you reach the world's end, there are little inside jokes that have kind of built up over the course of the movies, and they are referencing themselves in a way that when you watch them back to back, it's uh, uh, it's I don't fantastic. think that's a good idea. If we watch it back to back, one of us is going to miss the movies. We just need more screens. Oh, I like it. So guys, let us know what you think about our final ratings. Let's go ahead and go onto our social media and tell us what you rank these Corona Trilogy. And if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and watch it. And like Rick said, it is a good back-to-back watch. So you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen, but on Twitter and Instagram, it is Op Silver Screen. You can also find Brian and I on our personal letterboxes if you want to keep up with what we're watching throughout the week. Brian's going to be at Swank Seal, that's capital S, capital S, and I'm going to be at Coffee Spoon Kate, that's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T. And if you guys want to go ahead and give your information for Caster's Guild at where you can find you. Well, my phone number is, oh, you mean, oh, got it, never Well, I mean, I, I would say so, that um, we definitely have a presence online with the Casters Guild, but you know what? Perfectly honest, you're probably not going to find us on there. So you're better off finding us individually or just listening to our podcast. You can find us Casters Guild on any kind of um, anywhere you can listen to a podcast, Spotify, Anchor, uh, iTunes. Uh, I think there was that one little startup that just started that, you know, very small I don't know name of it. Um, Google Play, that's it. Go- Google. Um, and then, um, you Google. Can, that's that little, yeah, little that company. Little company. Um, and then you can find me, Baron Kane, at Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can find me on TikTok. I have a small following on there over, you know, one little stupid video. Um, but it's Baron Kane, B A R O N C A I N. It's that name everywhere. So feel free to find me. I don't have a much of an individual presence on social media, but if you Google Casters Guild podcast, you will find us on just choose your um, preferred podcast delivery delivery platform. um, And you can usually reach us on our discord. And I do check our email pretty regularly, which is castersguild at gmail.com. And we'll be linking all of that on our uh, social media as well. So if you want to find it through us, you can also do that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Brian, any uh, closing comments? Can I close this out? <laughs> yeah, so we've done two trilogies now, one from the UK and one from Norway. We're even talking about doing one from France. If your country has a 
must-see trilogy, please let us know. While we try to figure out what America's must-see trilogy is. Which, the Leonardo DiCaprio trilogy? Huh? What? Let's watch. The the, uh, Titanic, Titanic, Inception, and Shutter Island. I'm in. I'm all in. We have to throw Revenant in there, too. Gosh. I don't... Is that going to be the prequel to the trilogy? Yes. (laughs) Leo getting mauled by a bear. (laughs) And Benny is on the Titanic. (laughs) Actually, let's just do the trilogy, but then we'll cut in him getting mauled by a bear in points to his own movie. He's coming down the stairs, coming down the stairs in Titanic, bear out of nowhere. Oh, I love it. I would watch that. I would watch that over the actual Titanic. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, make sure to uh, like and follow all of us and give us your input and feedback love to hear from you and make sure to join us for our next assignment which just got it from hq since we're going to have the new cronenberg movie coming out in july where he's going back to his true to form we are going to watch videodrome cronenberg's probably most cronenberg movie out there Uh, so go ahead get your stomach ready for that one watch it and join us for the next mission Till next time, I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. See ya.